Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Pass by Falcon O'Reilly turned over. It goes back door and hits off the skate of Letty, I think, and goes in. The Indians grab it from their own zone, shoot to the empty net, and score. And I believe, is that Dvorak that shot it? Yeah, it is. It is, and that'll be a hat trick for Christian Dvorak. The Montreal Canadiens are going to improve to 5-4. and four. And the bad teams from last year in the East have improved a bit this year as this one comes to a close. 7-4 to four the final. Canadiens erase a two-goal lead on the Blues and then stop the Blues on a Saturday night in St. Louis. Starts with the leaders, for sure. They got to play better. They got to do a better job. And um, we all do. We got to be all be better. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario. The three of us back in the studio together for the first time in 10 days. I missed you guys. Who are you? That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Like. My name is Brandon Kylie. I, I am hair. still gainfully employed. So we brought the back the scariest us. thing we knew on Halloween. Amen. Happy Halloween, ladies and gentlemen. Look at this face. To the surprise of basically everybody involved, I am still, in fact, employed. And unfortunately, I'm employed to talk about the Blues who are struggling right now, man. I didn't see this one coming. I thought that there might be some struggles without David Perron, but the offense has been worse than even the biggest critic could have anticipated. They've now lost four games in a row in the regular season for the first time under Craig Berube. And Alex, you look at some of these numbers. Jordan Cairo, three goals, but zero assists. Jake Neighbors, one. One goal, zero assist. Ivan Barbashev, one goal, zero assist. Logan Brown, yet to score a point on the season. He played one damn game. And Ryan O'Reilly with just one goal, zero assists on the year. On Saturday night, I know they put up four. They had a whole bunch of opportunities, though, that they missed. And they lose that game seven to four against Montreal. Alex, my friend. Yeah. What is going on with these St. Louis Blues right now? Boy, I don't even know if I have answers for this one, and I'm the ultimate optimist with this team, but they're, um, this offense, for some reason, it is just not clicking, and you can't use the excuse anymore of, well, they haven't played a lot of games, and they had a lot of days off. No, they just played a, four games in seven days, and you still were struggling to score goals. You got beat by... Two opponents that are in the Central Division in Nashville and Winnipeg. Edmonton, uh, you played a good game against Edmonton in the second time, but a mistake that led to the Oilers. And look, that goaltender that you went up against in that one was a good one. Sometimes you do tip your hat to that, but last night, or Saturday night, I should say, that was a game that the Blues absolutely should have capitalized on, and 
Montreal came into that game allowing the most high danger scoring chances in the NHL. And you saw it. They scored the uh, four goals, I think. I don't remember. Long weekend. But you had three empty net scoring chances. Like Jordan Cairo had the puck on his stick skating into the slot and didn't get the shot off. Thomas missed the net. Tyler Pitlick had a wide open net and missed it. Nathan Walker in front of the net missed the net. It's just everything that Craig Berube has been saying about this offense to me seems like guys are just playing too much perimeter hockey. Guys are playing too much along the outside of the crease, taking shots and hoping hoping something can happen. And that's not how you're going to score these goals, not against these types of teams. If this team wants to win, it's going to have to go to the front of the net. Look at the goals that they did score against Montreal. Kyra gets the tip in front of the net. Uh, Nolachari gets the deflection and the rebound off of the shot from Tyler Pitlick. Those are the goals you got to score when you're in the midst of this. But 18 goals in seven games, the lowest in the National Hockey League, that's not going to cut it with the amount of talent that this team has. And it's I'm going off more of the sample size than what I saw on Saturday because to me it has felt a lot like just one and dones when you look at this offense where it's one shot and then it's out of the zone or it takes them a while to get into the zone and then they dump it in, they don't get it, and it's just out of the zone pretty quickly. I mean, minus Saturday's game, that was just the second game in which they've had the Corsi percentage in favor of them, which means they're just not Mm. having the puck a lot. So I think part of it comes down to some of it is just missed opportunities, which I think that was a big part of the game on Saturday, missed opportunities and also just a lack of defense being played by the St. Louis Blues. And then the other part of it for me is they're just not generating enough offense by not sustaining enough pressure. Like we were at the game together, Alex, last week, I think it was Wednesday when they were playing the Oilers. And it felt like a lot of one and dones. And it felt it's felt like that all season long. And I know they had opportunities on Saturday, but Saturday was one of those outlier games where the defense let them down. So I think offensively, it's just too much one and done, not sustaining enough pressure. And that's what's resulting in us having these conversations continuously, because I can't point out a line that I each game where I say that line has been the line that's going to be clicking for games to come. No, it's always been this line's good this game and then it just dissipates. This yeah, line's good for this game to, and it dissipates. because you have to switch the lines up so much because you can't get any chemistry going with these guys. Yeah, to your point on the uh, the lack of rebound opportunities, Alex, the Blues have the fewest tip opportunities and the fewest deflections in the NHL so far on the season. Now, some of that is because they've only played seven games. Most other teams are around the nine or ten so there's some truth to the volume statistics just not being there because of the number of games that they've played relative to the rest of the league. But some of it is just the way that they've played so far this year. I will also add this. I'm not super worried. Like, I, I think this offense is going to be OK in the long term. What I am concerned about is all offseason, we were sold on the notion of the Blues being a complete team and them having this depth of scoring. Guys, that is something that I have not seen so far this year. It looks to me similar to the way that it has looked in the past, where you've got O'Reilly and Shin, and you're going to have Tarasenko, and Kyra will eventually get it going. I know it looks ugly right now, but he's eventually going to be all right because he has a proven track record. Like The guys that you expect to be good, I think are going to be good. But this team needed neighbors, Barbashev and Brown, that trio that was supposed to be something that you could count upon for your third line. And so far this year, those three guys have combined for zero assists, zero on the year. And I know Logan Brown hasn't played much, so maybe this is unfair towards him. But until they figure out what to do with that third line, the Blues can't be the team that we expect them to be. We've heard, I don't know how many times, Doug Armstrong say something to the effect of, we have to have that pack mentality. We aren't going to be able to beat star for star teams like the Avs or now the Calgary Flames. Those teams just, they've got star power that frankly the Blues don't have yet. 
if you don't have that third line that's able to step up, if you don't have that depth of scoring that we've been talking about in the past, well, that's where the issues are going to come because Tarasenko's going to be fine. O'Reilly's going to be all right. Jordan Kyrou's eventually going to play better than we have seen so far. Buchnevich is now healthy. Those are all things that you can count upon. That third line's got to get it figured out, though. They don't have a third line right now. I mean, you you basically are in third periods. Craig Ruby's playing his top six and then occasionally throwing the fourth line out there. Jake Neighbors has been sat um, a majority of the third period. The last few games, this is what his ice time has been. Uh, 11-26, 11-37, 15-27 in that game against Nashville, but that one was a blowout. And then 10-30 against Montreal. I went back and looked at it. He played three shifts in the third period. Mm. Um, that, to me, signifies the guy on the 10-14 to 14 range in terms of rosters that Doug Armstrong was talking about, but you can't do anything right now because you don't have Brandon Saad. Uh, Ivan, Barbashev, Ivan Barbashev has been played everywhere for this team, and yet they just can't get that offense going with him and then Logan Brown's played that one game where that one game did not look good but his is a little difficult in my opinion because of the amount of or the amount of time that he's missed but you've you've tried Pitlick on the third line you've tried Walker you've tried Torpchenko you've tried Achari and I don't want to keep messing with the fourth line because I thought the fourth line was the best line in that Montreal Canadiens game they were the ones that were buzzing the most in terms of off, uh, offensive opportunities you don't have a third line right now and I'm not taking Braden Shen off of my top line because he's one of your best players so far this season. So the way I look at this is it's on those three players to figure it out. Like tonight, I believe it's going to be Logan Brown, Ivan Barbashev and Jake neighbors on that third line. You guys got to figure it out because if you don't have a third line playing in the third period, your offense is going to go. It's going to be absent because you can't rely on your top six to play 20 plus minutes a night. That's going to fatigue these guys by the end of the season. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. This comes from the 618. Guys, how much does the loss of David Perron play into the lack of chemistry that the Blues have right now? I think it's a big part of it. Like if we're just being totally honest about what's happened, and I'm not saying this is going to be an issue for the entirety of the season. Eventually, they should be able to develop that chemistry. A big problem that the Blues are running into right now is that, A, they don't have a third line, as Alex just mentioned, and B, Ryan O'Reilly's line has basically been non-existent on the year in terms of their scoring production. And in the past, one of the very few things that this team knows every single night that they can count upon, other than that weird start to the season last year, is that David Perron and Ryan O'Reilly are going to be that line that is going to be a shutdown pairing offensively for you, and then they're going to produce at five on five. You know that's going to happen night in, night out. And you know the style that they're going to play as well. And right now, this team doesn't have that. They have a line with Ryan O'Reilly where they try Jordan Cairo and it's just not really working. And Braden Shin's been up there. They had sought. Like, they've been throwing everything at that line so far. And nothing really seems to be clicking. And until they do, well, this is what it's going to look like. This is going to be kind of the results offensively. And so they've got to figure something out. That third line, they're... That's about personnel. They, they need to get healthy, and then they need guys to start playing better. The, the Ryan O'Reilly line is something that I do have my eye on right now, that I don't know exactly what the pairing needs to be with him, but I'm pretty confident it's not Jordan Kyrou. I think Kyrou needs to be paired with Robert Thomas. Last year, I thought that was where he played his best was when he was with Robert Thomas. I think that's going to be your future as a team. Is that your top line? Thomas, Buchnevich, and Kyrou. I'd like to see them go with that for the foreseeable future. Just let, let's see what it looks like. And that probably means putting Tarasenko with Ryan O'Reilly. Maybe you go sod on the left wing or, or excuse me, maybe you go with Shin on the left wing. Maybe you try something else there. I don't know. But 
I think that's probably the way that I would construct it right uh, I now. think the way that I would do it is I would like to see Buchnevich and Tarasenko play with O'Reilly. Because you got to get Ryan O'Reilly going right now. He's in a... He, look, like, we're, we're all going to talk Jordan Kyrou, but Ryan O'Reilly's struggling right now. And, I mean, he's the other one that you have to look at. I would go those two with him to see if you can get him going. And I'd put Shen and Kyrou with Robert Thomas. Because Braden Shen has been the hottest player on this team. He's got nine points, which is tied for the most with Justin Falk. Uh, I would see what he can do with Thomas and Cairo. And when Brandon Saad comes back, Brandon Saad goes to my third line because Braden Shen is not a third line player for you right now. Brandon Saad needs to be the offensive catalyst to play with a Logan Brown and an Ivan Barbashev to try and get that going. Um, and then real quick to your David Perron point, I, I, I think they're missing the chemistry with O'Reilly, but you know what I think they're missing more from David Perron? They're missing his on and off ice presence. Like you're missing the grit that David Perron provided to you to where he would just go in the boards and just cause havoc. And you're also you're also lacking that accountability that David Perron would make sure he held everybody to. We heard all about it. I mean, he'd come on after a game and talk about how we have to be better there. I love the fact that Tarasenko spoke with the media after the loss on Saturday, and he came out and he said, we need to be better than this because that's leadership right there. It's not Ryan O'Reilly answering the same question over and over and over. That's what I think they're missing most from David Perron. Somebody's got to pick up that slack of, that pissed off mentality when you're playing poorly. That being said, the fact that David Perron, we can we can go back to last season and some of the conversations that he had with our morning show where he would say, hey, we're not playing the way that is going to win in the playoffs. Yeah. That gives me confidence that this team's going to get out of this eventually. Absolutely. Because they have been here before. And last year, they had these exact same issues. Like Some of what we're talking about right now is just the reality of building around guys like Thomas and Booch and Kairou. And Tarasenko, frankly, throw him into this mix. Those guys don't play the way all the time that Baruby and O'Reilly and Shin and these gritty players want to play. And frankly, that wins in the playoffs. They get there eventually, but they go through these spells where Baruby called it on Saturday playing cute. This happens and they have been here before. They will get out of it. I think they're going to be all right. It just looks ugly when they get kind of stuck in the mud the way that they have been over the last really two week, week or two, I, I think you can say, since essentially the second game of the year. T-Bone and I said it last week. We said, if you would have told us at the beginning of the season that your goaltending is going to play incredible, your defense is going to be all right, except for the slip up that we've say, seen. I, I kind of want to take that defense yeah, one back. But you yeah. know what? With the exception of the Winnipeg Jets and Nashville Predators and Montreal Canadiens game. Wow. Well, I understand that, but that's half the season. But think about One, it, though. Two, three, wait, we've played but think seven. about that, though. Your two probably best games that you played defensively were against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on the Edmonton Oilers. Like, that's that's a pretty good accomplish, accomplishment to have um, if you're going to talk about the defense. But if you would have said that those two areas weren't going to be the problem at the beginning of the year and you weren't scoring goals, I'd take that in a heartbeat because you'll figure the offense out. You've got guys who score goals. It's just a matter of chemistry, and it's just a matter of getting – Getting that good feeling back in. Those good vibrations. Remember, boys? I remember, remember that. like last season? That was so Maybe we all need to uh, put swimsuits on and walk out in the cold. That's probably what they need. Just no. let, let's get to the cold weather. We'll give it, it some time. Them. We'll all get our swimsuits on and everything's going to be a-okay. Don't forget, last year, around mid-November, I went through a similar sort of dry spell. Yeah, it, you said that they were terrible and then this isn't going to be a playoff team. I thought you said they were playing for the lottery last year. I, I, I think you said lose for who was the number one overall, overall pick? Slavowski. You were like, slant for Slavowski. That was was not great. Suck for Slavowski. No, that was not better. Missed you guys. It's been too long.
Coming up in about 30 minutes, some, we'll get to questions and answers. 657-80 your comfort service tax line yeah. to get involved in the show. Back. In 15 <laughs> we'll minutes, the more things change, the it. more they remain the same. Football pick'em happened on Friday. I was not here for it. We will reveal the loser <laughs> coming up in 15 minutes. I think I know who it is. I hate this show so much. <laughs> coming up next, though. Was Nolan Arenado's decision over the weekend to opt into his contract without changing anything? Was that a surprise to you guys? I'll be honest, it was to me. I'll explain why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. an out clause in his contract. Uh, I, I went out and met with him on Monday just to discuss the situation and uh, very hopeful there's some resolution here uh, shortly. There was a resolution over the weekend and with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was John Mosellock last week speaking with the media about Nolan Arenado's opt-out clause and guys, he decided not to exercise that opt-out, which was expected. We all thought he would be back going into next year. We have been saying for how long now, Alex, that, hey, you don't have to worry about it. There's no reason to even look towards the opt-out. He's going to be back with the team. Real quick though, did anybody read that and read it really fast and be like, oh God, he's opting out because part of me did. I read no, it, I'm no. like, oh, damn. But then I have to reread it. Yeah, no. Sometimes no, you have to reread. No, you know? zero, zero concerns about oh, that whatsoever. Oh, sorry, reading wasn't uh, your specialty in Dude, school. You were 95% sure he's going to be here, and then you read oh, no, too I, quickly and abandoned that No, no, philosophy. I was 100%. I gave Katie Wu the Ferrario guarantee on Thursday. The reason why I was surprised, though, is because I thought it would come with a reworked final year of the deal. His final year of the contract in 2027, when he's going to be 36 years old, is for $15 million. They had to throw that on at the end of the deal whenever he was traded to St. Louis to make things work for the MLB Players Association, along with this year's opt-out. Those are the two things that were changed in the deal. He got an extra opt-out. He got an extra year on the deal. I thought that would be about a $25 million final season by the end of this thing. And it wasn't. It wasn't changed in any way, shape, or form, at least based on any of the information that we have available to us right now. Did that surprise you guys? That nothing was reworked? Nolan Arenado said, I trust the plan. I trust the team. I want to be here. I'm good with my current deal as is currently constructed. It didn't surprise me because I just assumed he was looking at this and saying, this will probably take me to the close end of my career and if it's going well I mean how often do we see guys that sign for incentives and whatnot so that didn't surprise me I think the conversation going from Mo with Arenado and talking about it was this is what our five-year window looks like and it it works out so well that that five-year window is in play with him so it didn't it didn't surprise me it surprised me a little bit just because that felt like what was going to be the hold up on the opt-out like that felt like the leverage for Arnado to say, yeah, I could opt out, but if we rework this deal, yeah. I'll come back. Like, it surprised me a little bit, but the fact of the matter that it didn't, and I I guess he just wanted to know what the future plans are for the Cardinals, mostly probably this offseason, that's why Mo went out there. That It doesn't shock me a whole lot, but I am just a little bit surprised just because, like, the, what he's going to be making, and I'm assuming he's still going to be playing pretty well by the time he's 36, he's probably going to be worth more than $15 million. And maybe he just looks at it and says, you know what, maybe when I get to that point, maybe I'll try to, like, re-up it on, like, a one- or two-year contract extension to Alex's point of it being near the end of his career. If he's still productive, maybe he'll just sign a one-two-year contract extension here in St. Louis. Or maybe he's doing it this year to try and benefit the team to spend money elsewhere. Uh, yeah, I I don't know how I don't know if it changes a whole lot. I 
I just thought he would want more money in that final year of the deal because he's a good businessman. Like he he included this opt out for a reason. He he wanted to have leverage. That that is part of why you have these opt outs. Is to say, okay, I'm gonna have other options. And do I think he could have gotten a ton more money if he decided to opt out and like potentially go elsewhere? No, I, I really don't. I think this was probably pretty close to the best deal possible for him, monetarily speaking. I think he's happy with the situation, and I think that's what him deciding to do this told us is you you mentioned it, Alex. I think he was sold on what the five-year plan looks like here in St. Louis, and he said, that's so good. Could I get more money? Yeah, sure. They could probably throw on an extra $10 million at the back end of this deal. I'm not worried about that. Let's just go ahead and lock this in right now. We can figure that all out whenever we get to 2027. And in the meantime, you guys go assemble the team around me and Paul Goldschmidt and Adam Wainwright and everybody else that they currently have on the roster. And let's try to win in this this immediate future that we have available to us. We got to remember, guys, this is now their window with Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. It's narrow. They only have two more years left with both of them under contract currently. Now, that could change. Maybe they decide to re-sign Paul Goldschmidt. But under their current deals, they've only got two years left with both of those guys on the roster. And this year is a big one. Because Nolan Arenado this season, it's more than half of his salary is being paid by the Colorado Rockies. Their second highest paid player this season is Nolan Arenado to play for the Cardinals. Think about that for a second. The Rockies' second highest paid player is Nolan Arenado in the year 2023 when he is now two years removed from playing for the Colorado Rockies. This is an unbelievable deal. For the Cardinals, both the trade that they made where they didn't really give up anything of crazy significance and also the fact that now your future face of the franchise. And I think that's what he opted into. He opted into being the next version of uh, Scott Rowland or Matt Holiday. Like he's going to have. Remember the day that we had this year with Matt Holiday where he was inducted into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Ten years from now, that's going to be Nolan Arenado. He's going to have his day where he recalls the summers leading up to the time when he was traded here to St. Louis and then the moment when he found out, I'm going to be in baseball heaven. That's what he opted into over the weekend. Yeah, and I think that's why there was optimism around the Cardinals' front office that he was going to opt into this, and I would imagine that's part of the selling point to have him stay. And I don't really think you had to sell him hard in staying. I think this was a matter of, look, Nolan, I know that you've been frustrated where you've been, and I know you want to win that World Series, but we're getting there. We've got the pieces. We've got money now. We're going to try and re-up this team, so we want you back. But it's also that caveat of, like, you're coming back to a different Cardinals team. You're coming back to a team that still has Adam Wainwright, but it's his final year. You're coming back to a team that no longer has Yadier Molina and Albert Pujols and Matt Carpenter and Matt Holiday. You are now going to be... The, the 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 tenured cardinal. You are going to be the guy that everyone wants to come to St. Louis to play alongside you and Paul Goldschmidt, and we're assembling the team around you. So I think that's what he always wanted. I mean, the guy was sending demo reels to players on the team to get to St. Louis. I think this is what he always wanted, which is why I was always confident he was going to be opting into it. But now the job goes to John Mosellock because you've got to back up whatever you told Nolan of why you need to opt into this contract. Yeah, I think Nolan was just looking for reassurance. Assurance. Sorry, reassurance. Take two. Reassurance. Yeah, what Alex said. That's what he was looking for to where he knew that they were going to. I think See, you don't read well either. Come on, man. I just can't talk. (laughs) Uh, I think Nolan knew he wanted to be here. I think the Cardinals knew he was going to be here. And I think he just wanted that 
reassurance because, like, he doesn't want to be back in the Colorado spot. And I, I think the Cardinals always knew they were going to spend big this offseason, and he's willing to be the face of the franchise. It's going to be him and Goldie for the next two years, and then it's going to be him and whoever else comes up. Probably Jordan Walker would be my guess, or Mason Wynn if one of those two becomes the stud that we think they're going to be. He's going to be the face of the franchise with them. And how often does a team get to go into an offseason in a winning window where, A, one of their superstars is being paid by somebody else, yeah. and, B, they've got cost-control studs that are coming up through their system. That's so, called a luxury. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about an offseason where the Cardinals could go from a team that was good to being really great in, in 2023. So I, I don't think Nolan Arnato really saw any possible way to – leave this and get a better deal elsewhere. I mean, SpotRack has their projections for what his contract would have looked like, and he was going to make less in, I think it was like $28 million was the AAV of what he's going to get. That's about $7 million less than what he was going to get. So him coming back becomes the face of the franchise, and he probably knows that this is going to be a big offseason, and I think everybody around St. Louis expects it to be a big offseason. I'm also glad that it's just done. Like, they, they didn't waste too much time with this. They just said, hey, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Nolan Arenado had his meeting with John Mosellock. Mo sold him on the, what the offseason's going to look like. And it, it must have been a, a really good sell for him to be able to just say, all right, yeah, we're done. We'll go ahead and get this over with right now. And, guys, I... You know that I'm I'm ready for the off season. This weekend, I I was I got home on Friday night. Starting Saturday, I I dove in. I, I got my salary sheets ready to go. Oh, I looked into the payroll. An I went into of the mediocrity. Oh, I can't sponsored wait. by BK. I, I <laughs> looked into the spot rack off season projections. I know MLB trade rumors will have theirs coming out soon. Guys, the Cardinals got money to spend, like legit money to spend this off season. And Make don't it let rain. Anybody, don't let anybody sell you otherwise. Based on what I've got available in front of me and these aren't my numbers these are, uh-huh. are based on the publicly available numbers we're getting judge they've got like 50 to 60 million dollars potentially to spend depending right. on what they decide to do with five their arbitration guys worth players. 10 million dollars five cory dickerson's coming your way Woo-hoo! i mean cory dickerson was five so you could get 10 of those oh, <laughs> oh. you could fill up an entire outfield with yeah. those jock peterson last year was about 10 if i'm not mistaken so you could get five jock peterson's this offseason right, or mediocrity or, sponsored by bk is what i said you could get like one justin Ver- Lander or a he stinks. Didn't you see what happened in game one of the World Series? They've got legitimate money to spend, not just this year, but also in future years. And so that's why I'm so excited about what this offseason is going to look like. And I, I think it's why Nolan Arnato is probably excited about what the future holds here in St. Louis as well. Because, man, the, the options this offseason are as compelling as they have been in St. Louis since I moved here in 2015. Like I, I cannot remember an offseason where more options were available to the Cardinals, realistically speaking, where they both have the money, the assets, and the opportunity available to acquire one of those stud players in not only a trade, but in free agency. Like they, they could do both this offseason. No, nah, man, I already figured it out. You're signing Xander Bogart, you're signing Wilson Contreras, and you're trading for Shane Bieber. Okay. I already figured out that offseason. That sounds great. I'm in. Show me where they can't do that, because I know they can. They where's Paul DeYoung playing? Doesn't matter. Oh, they okay. they actually could probably do that. I know they can. I just I I did your off season for you. Yeah. They, like he calculated. I, I'm it. not saying they will, but money wise, they could probably do what you I'm just. I'm a suggest. master calculator at this. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into questions and answer six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show if you guys have any questions for us. But coming up next, okay. We'll reveal our football pick Welcome results. back, BK. I think I went 2-1 this week. We'll talk about it next. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Questions and answers in about 10 minutes or so. If you guys have any, throw them in on the text line at 65780. But right now it is time for our football pick'em reveal. We do this each and every week where we have nine games to select from. We'll go around the room. Each of us gets three picks. We draft snake style and we decide what the picks are going to be for the week. Alex, we will reveal your picks first to see how you did. Can't with lose this two straight weeks, right? Slate. How, what was your punishment last I'm week? I'm getting my chest waxed. My uh, <laughs> looking forward to my that. My wife will be coming in tomorrow and uh, bringing the wax, and Woo-hoo! I'm gonna. This is your first punishment of the year, right? First punishment, yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking yep. forward. I to can't it. go two for two. I you can't didn't trim beforehand, right? I'm not gonna show you, man. It's weird. I'm not gonna show you right now. <laughs> All right. Let's it's find out how Alex two. did with this weekend's pick. I can't be a BK. I'm gonna take Tennessee minus twelve. Hooker looking instead to his left. Now moves back to the right. Launches wide open touchdown. Jalen Hyatt for the second time tonight. I'm gonna back what I've believed this season that the Rams are awful. And a home game for the 49ers. I'm going to pick San Francisco <laughs> a winners house. by one and a half. Pressure sees it. Throws it California is a 49ers state. For the touchdown. Christian I'm going to pick Giants plus three. Had Seattle out of sorts. This and now they're hurt. back in the driver's seat. Ooh, Walker <laughs> able to reverse his field. Walker inside the 10. Uh, barreling over tacklers. Also, I, I, before I made that pick, I had heard reports that Metcalf was going to miss the game. And so that's why I went that direction. If Metcalf would have been playing, Lockett was questionable as well. I probably would have backed Seattle on that one, but that's where I was going with it. But hey, two and one—that's a great week. That's not the same way that I lost last week. Yeah, so. that was that was a nice week for you. I I was shocked. I don't know if you guys watched much of the Tennessee Kentucky oh, yeah. game. Tennessee beat the hell out of them. Yeah. Tennessee, uh, I, I think, is the second best team in college football right now. I think they might be the best. Over Georgia still, you think? I, I'm taking them. Now, this means they're probably going to lose. But <laughs> I'm right, well, picking my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stick with Georgia. I'm taking Tennessee on Saturday straight up against Georgia. Now, I don't really understand the line. I would definitely take Tennessee plus the nine oh, against yeah. Georgia. Um, but I, I think they can win that game outright. I think Tennessee has the best offense in the country. They've and been fun to watch this year, man. Every yeah. game that I've seen them in, like there's there's just creativity in their play calling. Yeah. And Hendon Hooker is now the guy, by the way, that I said before the season, 40 to 1, taking Should on the Heisman odds. And he is now the favorite to win the Heisman You're Trophy. You're great at futures season. bets. Like, what's your issue in terms I, I of betting really games? Am. I'm actually really good at the future stuff. Damn. I just have no way to be able to get a read on the individual games. All right, so Alex starts out the week with a 2-1 and one record. T-Bone, how'd you do? Missouri might as well be spelled as misery because they are terrible. So <laughs> give me number 25, South Carolina, minus three and a half versus Missouri. I, I think that one is such an easy pick. Schrader, they fake it. Cook keeps it. Touchdown. Aaron Rodgers been pouting all week and blaming his teammates. When Rodgers been playing like crap himself. So give me the Bills, minus 11 and a half. Rodgers protected, flipping to the corner of the angel for Dobbs. It turns around. Did he bring it in? Yes. What a catch by Romeo Dobbs. Touchdown. I'm going Vikings minus three and a half against home against the uh, Cardinals. Cousins throw. End zone. Touchdown for 
Well, at least you got you, you got the one. You, yeah. you, you knew to bet against Kyler Murray. The new you had, COD game came out. I knew he couldn't play. You had sound reasoning behind the pick. That's true. COD was his reasoning to go with it. I, I respect that. And decision. we all know Kyler doesn't pass in COD. And last night was a bad beat for you with the Packers. That, that was that was a rough beat for you. That, but if there's one thing T-Bone should not do, it's bet any spread that's larger than eight. Well, I mean, looking at that Green Bay team, like Rodgers well, looks it. in the days. But, like, it, but it was also Sunday Night Football. Like, I mean, they dominated that game from start to finish. Like 11 and a half should have been covered. So T-Bone goes one and two Which is probably week. safe in our pickums. <laughs> and now we get to hear what JR picked for me. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Penn State covering the 15 and a half points against number two Ohio State uh, Penn State hey listen they're in Happy Valley I want to be happy this weekend we'll go with Penn State I don't, I don't know why he's doing that Allen Allen leads forward touchdown Penn State it didn't look good in the first half BK's and it didn't look good in the last minute is oh, Nebraska he'll take half. Nebraska in fourth quarter versus number 17 Illinois. Nebraska Illinois. plus seven and a half I don't like that pick DeVito to the air and he dumps it off for a first down to Williams, who's free at the 30. Illinois. Williams outrunning defenders and headed for the sides. end zone. Touchdown, <laughs> Illinois. Mm-hmm. All right, BK wants Kansas State minus 1.5, one and a half against uh, number nine, it's a good Oklahoma pick, BK. State. That's Warner. He's got blocking, and he is free. Another explosive touchdown for the Wildcats. Two and one Hold for BK. Up. Wait a minute. Something ain't right. Wait, Two no, wait and a minute. one for BK. Tanner lost wait again. Wait a minute. If we look at the graphic on the uh, Twitter page, BK, who'd you have? Well, what happened? Don't matter. No, it does matter. I heard the picks. Nope, 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 nope. Let's Hold on. Go, can you go back to what the K-State selection was for me? Not only did I win, they beat the hell out of Oklahoma State 48 to nothing. BK wants Kansas State. Yep. That's what yep. I said. All right, so let's uh, let's head to the text line, uh, BK. Yep. Let's I head to, said um, I would like to have K State minus the one and a half. I never even considered Oklahoma State in that game. Didn't um, happen. Hold on, I got to go back. K State a whole favorite in, in Manhattan against Oklahoma State when their quarterback uh, was can, hurt. Only an idiot. What's like at two forty five when BK <laughs> found out what his picks were. I'm making the executive decision to not have KSU. He even had the audacity to put executive decision while in New York. I know, that's After a being real gone for ballsy 10 days. thing to say. I won OK I State that in that game. Tanner said, I think we take a vote. Does the motion pass? And we all said, nah. And BK said, I mean, I think this is kind of my call. That is called karma, you sir. You treat us like dirt, and it blew up in your face. Big time. I can't believe this happened. A minus 56 (laughs) spread, and you just got hosed by it. If I simply didn't check what the picks were that you guys had made, if I just went along with it and I was like, ah, K-State's fine. Well, whatever. They're at home to one and a half point line. It could really go either way. It's like a 50-50 proposition. I would be sitting pretty at two and one in the best point spread of the week. Yeah, T-Bone would be sucking his third loss this season. Yeah. Instead, okay. I'm one and two and now I'm in, in position to be punished. BK made his executive decision on the show. And, and with them being blown out... The tiebreaker was way in BK's favor <laughs> to be the loser this and week. And guess what the new punishment is, buddy? What is it? Sports Illustrated body issue. Oh, yeah. Get that flex on. There get you that go. dad bot out. I don't think people will pick that for me. 
Oh, why? Because you got such a great body compared to Tanner and I? God, you are trash, man. <laughs> no, I'm You just... treat us like dirt on this show. I, I think people want Tanner to do that one. I can, Tanner's I, got a great I, body. I, I think that's going to be Everybody the route Everybody digs that goes. a dad bod, and I got the dad bod hey, going. Man, I'm wearing suit pants right now. Let the beard fit, be so. free. All right, well, then you're either getting Carrie Davis or you're reading Fifty Shades of Grey. I really hope it's Carrie Davis. Yeah, I kind of want to see you get yelled at. This is a Fifty Shades of Grey week still? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah come on. We, people we, aren't picking those. We still those. have that one? Yep. yep. Well, yeah, you still have to dress up like Pinocchio oh, yeah, well, that's on the side of the road. I get my chest wax on Tuesday, um, and then uh, now you'll suffer this new punishment, which I'm going to put out on the Twitter sphere <laughs> so everyone can app. vote. You can vote that on Twitter, at 101 ESPN. Is this your sixth loss, man? <laughs> I think it's like five. I think it's five, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I think it's five. I think Tanner's done two. two. Alex has one. done one, and I've got You know five. how bad it's gotten? God. My dad calls me every Monday morning, and he goes, did BK lose again? That's yep. how bad it's gotten. I, I literally looked over at Carrie yesterday. I said, yeah, getting punished this week. She said, really? I said, yeah. She said, welcome back. That was it. That was the end of our conversation. Nothing more needed to be explained. In 15 minutes, the Cardinals are going big game hunting this offseason. I've got some acquisitions that they could be looking at. We'll talk about that coming up at 12 o'clock. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air covered service text line for questions and answers. Answers, rather. Answers? Yep. I am uh, still getting used to the whole what speaking. What happened while much. you were gone for the Thing. 10 days, man? A lot of drinking. <laughs> a lot, a lot of yeah, alcohol. Oh, it makes sense. Uh, let's start with this from the 314. Hey, guys, I saw it was announced earlier today that the Battle Hawks are back. <laughs> as the XFL has announced all of the names for their respective cities. What did you make of the decision? Are you surprised at all that the Battlehawks was the team name once again? You know, a little bit of me was because I just kind of thought that The Rock taking over this business kind of wanted to, to wipe the slate clean and start fresh with everyone. But it's the smart business move. 100%. They were already set. The city was obsessed with the Battlehawks. The gear has been purchased. So now you just embrace it and say that now they're not going anywhere. They're going to permanently be in St. Louis so this was the smart business decision. So, and I'm glad that uh, caused the law once again. I, uh, I'm i not shocked by them going back with the Battlehawks. I was surprised they kept a lot of the same names. Uh, I know that the Vipers, now they're not in Tampa. They're in Vegas now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they had the Commanders, which was one that they had originally Seattle as well. changed their name significantly, though. What they, 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 they turn into? They were the Seattle Dragons. They're the Hipsters? Aren't they the Sea Dragons now? Now they are the Sea Dragons, which yeah. is those are very two very different, different things. Totally like, look different. at mythology: dragons AKA, and sea dragons. AKA, I'm not sure there was a whole lot of creativity in the XFL. It was the New York Guardians. That's right. It is now the Orlando Guardians. Yeah. Is a sea dragon like a seahorse? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of weak, like, isn't it? Like, like a battlehawk can swoop down and yeah. eat a seahorse. I went to a cryptozoology museum while what? I was gone. <laughs> Oh, so that's why you're messing things up. I wouldn't admit, what? Why would you go to a cryptozoology museum? I, it was amazing. I Did you and Kara just air. have nothing to do one day? We're like, there's a cryptozoology museum we can go check out? Yeah, it was our last day in Maine. <laughs> we decided to go to the you cryptozoology museum. You know what would have been easier? You just left earlier. No, no, it was amazing. We, we got to see all of their stuff on, uh, on Bigfoot and... 
um, the sea drag, like all of it. Yeah, it was great. Bigfoot is okay. Bigfoot is the biggest um, mystery to me. Do you believe in it? I believe in it, but I also am so surprised when people call themselves Bigfoot experts. Oh yeah, this guy was like he put together his whole oh, yeah. collection. Like he's, a, a he's comedi- gone around the world searching for Bigfoot. A comedian that I love, Dan Cummins, has a, a skit talking, a stand-up skit talking about how it's like, I wish I could just name myself an <laughs> expert at something that's not real. Yeah. Well, why not? Uh, moral of the story, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that they decided to go back to <laughs> We got the- to cryptozoology <laughs> too. Back to the Battlehawks. <laughs> to, to go back to the Battlehawks. I think it's the right move. People here embraced it. It became a thing organically. You had the caca movement. Like, this... This is what they had to do. And I think it's right. Like the XFL in 2020 was a success. So absolutely embrace what worked well and add upon that. So I think it's the right decision. I'm just curious now how they're going to go about it, because I thought the XFL did such a good job before they had to pause due to COVID. Like, are you going to carry over those same things or are you going to wipe the slate clean in terms of the rules and how you're going to address it? But I'm glad the name's back because everyone then gets on board with it. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, is it possible that the Blues were getting the reverse BKO ever since BK abandoned them to go to Boston and not New a real York? Thing. Not a real thing. They've been horrible. <laughs> no, not because he thing. was not embracing them when he was here. Oh, Remember, here. because he said that Bennington wasn't going to be good in the regular season and that quote is fine. Uh, and Bennington has been very good in the regular season. So uh, that's not how the reverse BKO works, ladies and gentlemen. By Somebody, the way, did you hear Katie Wu address the BKO? When I was gone? Yeah. She I came didn't on with listen us. listen to your show, which is. Because I said the Ferrari will guarantee that the Arenado thing is going to not be a problem. And she goes, oh, that must be a lot stronger than the BKO. Okay. I cool. said, Katie, he shut down an airline. Yeah. From the 618. And a bridge. I said, uh, at the museum, the Cryptozoology Museum, did you see the rarity that is a good BK football pick? <laughs> <laughs> More likely a good pick from BK in the football pick him or oh, Bigfoot. Don't even finish the sentence. Bigfoot. Right. Bigfoot's got to be somewhere out in the wilderness in the east. I just you'll never see a good BK cool. football pick. Cool, cool, cool. Or a BK fantasy football team. Tell people how your fantasy team's oh, doing. Yeah. Uh, in our league, not well. Let's just say that Rebuild. BT and uh, so I'm playing BT this week in our fantasy football league. He, I don't think he has checked his team. Uh, the reason why I mentioned that is because J.K. Dobbins was in his starting lineup. J.K. Dobbins has been on the IR for, what, three weeks now? Yeah. yeah. And he he's does, holding out hope. He does have a defense. They just happen to be on his bench. <laughs> They're not in his starting lineup. Oh, so you so got to be crushing him right now. He right now does not have Joe Mixon, who has, he plays tonight. He His kicker is Evan McPherson, who plays again tonight. J.K. Dobbins got him a zero, and his defense got him a zero. So you so got to be crushing players that. from his lineup either have not played yet or got him zeros. He's beating me by forty. Wow, wow. your team is awful. <laughs> I lost last week to Stalter, who also has not checked his fantasy football team this year. Wow, things you... are going very well great, in our league. Great to job, say the least. We can't call him the football expert anymore, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> did, God, did we no. ever? No, God, no. He can't be commissioner anymore. This one comes from the six one eight. Hey, BK, how was the trip? What did you think of the Northeast? Can, can I get my, some thoughts off my chest about about Boston? Is it the, the hair from the waxing Boston? last week? What? Last year. Sorry, it was a joke. It was funnier in my head. Boston sucks. Yeah, suck it, Bruins. There is no redeeming quality about that city other than Fenway Park is cool. Like if Boston didn't have a cool ballpark for their baseball team, there would be nothing cool about that city whatsoever. But did you try the chowder? It was fine. It was fine. But you can find better soups here in St. Louis. What about the fresh fish? The fish here is better. 
The, the food There's here no is better. Fresh. The cocktails here are better. <laughs> the city the here. here has cooler spots. The city has better parks here. It, everything about St. Louis is cooler than everything about Boston. Like, that is my, my final take on it. Can you guys hear that? Is somebody playing chess upstairs? <laughs> what is going on? Uh, Boston Boston is awful. The, the city, not worth visiting. Wow. Go, go that for is it. strong. Go is this, for a day to watch a Red Sox game. Could this and then be leave. potentially a BKO? Like, is he saying this and then, like, Boston's going to be a top 10 city in the U.S. by the end of no. the year? Is it already a top 10 U.S. city? Yeah, though? BK just has bad taste in cities. Yeah. I'd, but I'm with you. St. Louis you, is so much better. Would you enjoy, like, Maine? There's nothing in Maine. Yeah, Portland, Maine is awesome. Yeah. Did you try the Port maple Island? syrup? <laughs> Newport, Rhode Island was amazing. We went to a place called Sandwich, Massachusetts, which has an awesome brewery um, called Treehouse. A lot of drinking. W- worth going to. We went to Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, we did you go, go see the witch trials? We we did not see the actual trials, but we did see one of the houses that was around during the trials, and there was like a museum, and that was cooler than anything that I saw. I think they Boston. do re- reenactments of those witch trials around this time of the year. Yeah, the, uh, the the the, the city with you. The city was not fun. Man, you, was, a lot of the text line enjoys Boston. Really? Well, they're all wrong. Wow. Boston has amazing history. Yeah, and they won't let you stop hearing about Somebody it. Somebody said you're either boring or uneducated. I mean, Why not both? True. I mean, look, I've only been to Boston once, and it was Game 7, um, and I had no intentions of ever wanting to go back to the city. So Somebody said, so much history, harbor is cool, tons to do. No, but there's, there's not. But there's more history in other places in the East Coast than Boston. I would rather go to see all of the history in a dozen other cities in the country than go back to Boston. I have, I'm, I'm good. I'm good on Boston. Coming up in 15 minutes, and if you like Boston, you're not somebody I want to hang out with. In 15 minutes, we'll play a game of in or out. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Coming up next, though, speaking of Boston, they've got a former player that I would definitely be interested in this offseason, and he is exactly the type of player that the Cardinals need to be going after. It's big game hunting season, boys. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think the good news is we anticipate our payroll going up next year. I mean, I I know it will. Um, You know, obviously we had a lot of success at the gate this year, so thank our fans for that. Um, So, you know, you get past the pandemic and, and where we are today, we're definitely one of the few clubs that, that from a attendance standpoint got close to, to uh, pre-pandemic numbers. And so, yeah, I definitely f- know that our payroll will go up. Along with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Mozeliak last week in his address with the media talking about how the Cardinals payroll will go up. There was a definitive statement there. It will increase from where it was last year to where it will be going into next year. And guys, I think that's a significant statement because for it to increase from where it was last year, they have to spend significantly this offseason. So if you're somebody who's hearing us talk about, hey, the Cardinals are going to add, they're going to spend, and then you say to us, hey, they're not going to do anything. Based on the statement that John Mosellock just said, and he does not overpromise and underdeliver. He typically tries to underpromise and then overdeliver. That's the way that he goes about things in the offseason. He's going to have to spend. Like they have to make significant moves this offseason. And so now it becomes a what are they going to do type of a question. It's not a 
are they going to do anything? It's a what are the moves that they're going to make question. I agree with you, but I think some of the concern from Cardinals fans is it's not going to be that one impact player. It's going to be a handful of players that are complementary pieces. And that's where the concern comes into play when you say payroll is increasing is you're not going to go out there and get the Xander Bogarts or the I don't think they were ever going to be in the Carlos Correa race, but some people might. Well, then. Welcome back. <laughs> My God, what has happened to you? I, I I didn't know. I don't think I realized just how much they're going to have to spend. We were operating under the like, hey, $40 million might be around the range that they could get into. They could be closer to 50 or $60 million this offseason. If, if what they said is true, and now they you've got the Nolan Arenado opt-in, and they have some players that they could potentially non-tender that are making decent money this offseason, like Chris Stratton. He's at a $3.5 million arbitration salary. Cut him, save that money. They might not bring him back. They might oh. trade guys like Dakota Hudson, who's scheduled to make $3 million. No, Maybe that's $3 make, million dollars for an ace. Why would you do that? If they bring in a significant starter, they're probably trading one of the guys that's currently under salary for whether it's Jack Flaherty at 5 or my Miles Michaelis at 17 or Jordan Montgomery at 10, I would imagine one of them is probably going to be dealt if they bring in another starter. And that, again, frees up some of that payroll to use elsewhere. They have real, real money to go out there and spend. And the other thing, I think this is a significant part of the conversation. This is going to sound weird when I say it, but please understand that it comes with a caveat. The Cardinals don't have a real quote unquote need where it's like they have to go out there and add a significant player at this position. They could do it at catcher. They could do it in the middle infield. They could do it in the outfield. They could add a number one starter. That means they could basically add anything other than first base or third base, and you could find a spot for that player to play every single day. That opens up a whole lot of options going into the offseason. If you want to have the conversation, now I don't think they will do this. I think this is probably the one I think there are two guys, but this is probably the number one player that is definitely not on their radar. I don't think they will go out there and add a Aaron Judge because of his age and because of the contract that he's going to get where said it's anything. eight plus years. I think he's probably off of the table, but I'm not going to say completely off of the table because I just don't know. I think the other guy that is probably off of the table because I don't think they're going to give up the assets that it would require is Shohei Otani. Like those are the two that I will set off to the side. Other than that, I think every other name that you want to bring up this offseason should be for the Cardinals. And I don't think that the way that you just said, Alex, like they could go out there and get these kind of tertiary pieces where you're paying them $5 million or whatever. That's not the market that I want to spend in. It's not the market I want to spend in either. But that's where I think the concern from the Cardinals is to where they have money to spend. And they say, well, let's just go get a bunch of pieces that could be complementary to our roster in place. I don't if they're going to really spend this offseason, maybe they add somebody like that. Like maybe it's a catcher, right? Maybe they decide to add Christian Vasquez or uh, Tucker Barnhart, one of those guys, whoever, right? The five million dollar catcher that you think they could go out there and acquire. If they do that, I think it comes with one of those shortstops that you're talking about or a significant trade for an outfielder or a like tier one starter, like a Carlos Rodon or a DeGrom or a Verlander. Like I, I do genuinely believe they are going to add a 20 plus million dollar salary this offseason. I think that's coming. I, I tend to lean towards that. And I think that the Cardinals, I, I think the offseason will be, especially the way Mo set this up, because this almost feels like it could have the makings of 
I, I hate to say this, but Moe setting himself up for his own failure, kind of like how the Cardinals got involved in the Juan Soto sweepstakes and everybody, oh, we're going to go get Juan Soto. We got all the assets. And then it was truly like, yeah, we were kind of in there, but we weren't but truly involved. I do think involved. that also sets the stage for the offseason. I If they agree. were willing, like, I don't know that they were going to give up assets. I'm with you, and that's why I'm going to put the Shohei Otani conversation off to the side. I, I don't think they were ever going to do the, the assets that it would have required. I do think they were willing to take on the salary, though. And if they were willing to pay this season coming up and then the year after – 20 plus million dollars, which is what it would have required to be able to have Juan Soto. That tells you that that money is there. They can do that. They're willing to do it. It's just a matter of finding the right player to put into that salary slot, but it's available to them if they want to do it. And guys, as I looked into kind of more of the numbers and I really got into off season mode, I think they're going to. Do you want to talk Trey Turner? Let's do it. You want to talk Carlos Correa? All right, I'm here to have that conversation. You want to talk Xander Bogarts? Whoever the player is that you want to add to that team, it should at least be a conversation within the Cardinals front office right now. And frankly, I think all of them will be legitimate conversations. I think you could even go so far as to say they could trade for a legit front end starter. They could add Wilson Contreras and sign one of those big name shortstops. And that shouldn't be off of the table. I was going to say, I, and I think we're on the same page. We talked a little bit about this last week, Alex. I, I think the Cardinals make – it's a disappointing offseason if there's not two significant moves coming. I think there's and, a and trade and a signing. Uh, see, I think it's going to be two signings, but I could see the trade as well. Because I, I think you look at it, and I think this offseason just like – when we went into that offseason for the Blues when they signed Brandon Saad, like – Brandon Saad was the guy that we all focused on. He made all the sense in the world, and the Blues ended up signing him. Wilson Contreras screams that to me for the St. Louis Cardinals as being one of those signings. And then the other one to me comes at, are you going to add an outfielder that you view whether it be a – because Contreras, they said their goal this offseason to add someone that can protect Goldie and Arnato. Contreras does that. Do you look for someone else that can do that as well, that maybe hits in front of those guys like a Bogarts, like a Correa? He doesn't do it as much as one of those shortstops do. Exactly. Or do you look more for someone that's kind of the top of the order guy that helps also set the table for those guys like a Brandon Nimmo that I look at as well? See, this is why why I've always stated I don't care what position this player plays. I need need a bat in my lineup. Turner, Correa, Bogarts. Go get him. I don't care that Mason Wynn's going to be here in a couple of years. I'll figure that out when Mason Wynn looks like he's ready to be a major you leaguer. Could play them at, you could play Mason Wynn in center field for a couple of years if you need to. Or you could, like, if they get Xander Bogarts, that guy might be a second baseman there, uh, within the next three there's years. There's no trade, in my opinion, for an outfielder that I feel like is presenting itself now. Like, somebody brought up on Friday Brian Reynolds from Pittsburgh. Pirates aren't going to trade him, and I don't know if he's that significant piece for you. Mike Trout's the one we brought up. Don't think it's happening. There's not a trade for an outfielder that's presenting itself that's like, wow, that is the name you need to go get. Randy Rosarena? Well, that's not going to happen. You were, Don't you remember the videotaping in the locker room? Yeah. I'm just like I, I went through. I, I've got my list now of, of course trades does. that could be available this offseason. He's been reported as potentially being available. I, I think they're going to view the outfield as we got a ton of guys who can play out there for us, and we just need their bats to play. I think the area is catcher and shortstop. And I don't care if these guys play that position or if they move around. I want the bat. I want the damn bat in my lineup because the the second thing that came out of John Mozeliak's mouth after talking about the catcher position is we need to augment the offense, yep. which means we cannot do this. Well, we've got Carlson and we've got Edmund and we've got Gorman and Walker's going to be here and Mason Wynn can play short. I don't freaking care. Go get me the bat 
And that's why I feel like this offseason is that for this team. The question is, are you going to get it done or are you just going to be the bridesmaid? Because that's also what I think the worry is for so many people. If the Cardinals have that puke point, despite them still having $60 million in salary, they have that puke point that says, well, it just didn't want to go as far as we wanted to. And then are you going to be left standing with nobody to dance? Kind of where I, I I think they're making one significant move. My my I don't know if it's a fear, but will they be willing to make the second? Is the one that I'm at with that money to spend because I could see them doing the move where it's I don't know you bring in Correa and let's say he costs what thirty million dollars a year and then you end up trying to kind of just go okay let's go ten million here ten million here ten million here like I still think that's a solid off season and again I'm just saying that as an example because I could see them doing that. I think you really kind of put your pedal to the metal and really say, you know what, we're in this winning window and for us to compete with the Dodgers and for us to compete with the Mets and the Braves who've got their core locked up and the Phillies who've got their core locked up and San Diego is coming. I think you put your foot down on that pedal and you just push it down and you go full, just all in. You go and get two significant signings for that $60 million that you have available, maybe three augmented with a third one as well that's a little bit smaller like a bullpen arm, and you just say, let's really lengthen this lineup. Let's have four legitimate dudes and then whenever Walker is ready and if he hits his stride, there's our fifth guy. And you're talking about a one through five in a lineup that could be something along the lines of insert shortstop name here. I've got Goldie. I've got Arnato, I've got Contreras. And then I've got Walker who will be ready at some point as well. And then who knows, maybe get the rebound year out of Dylan Carlson or someone else ends up hitting the ball better than you're expecting. Can this offseason be a success if they don't add a shortstop? In your guys' opinion. Like, like one of the a- shortstops or they have to add the position? I, but either like let, let's say they end up not adding a shortstop this offseason so for example they sign Andrew Benintendi they sign Wilson Contreras they trade for Lucas Giolito like is that a success in your guys's mind because they spent probably like what close to 20 million dollars per year on Contreras they probably spend like 18 million ish a year on Benintendi and they've got a $10 million outlay this year for Lucas Giolito. It's about $50 million between those three players. And then they probably added like a, a utility infielder for five or whatever. Would would that be considered a significant offseason in your mind or would that be a failure? I would consider it a success because you got, I mean, it's the most, that, that would be the most money they've spent in free agency in a while. I mean, you got the bat, although I would have liked to have like a Xander Bogarts over a Benintendi, but you got a good bat in him and an outfielder. You've got the catcher, and then you got a, a legit stud. I mean, I would consider that a success, but the only way I'm going to get excited about this offseason is if they sign one of those legit bats because that's been the bugaboo for this team in the last four years. That's why they can't get to the promised land in terms of the World Series because they don't have the impact bats. I think think it can be a success I don't think you necessarily have to add that shortstop so I guess I can say it would be a success but I think with the money that you have available to spend you probably should go add one of those shortstops I I think the look as much as getting an ace would be great and I think it would help them out for not just this coming season but 2024 when there's only one guy currently under contract that's a starter that's in the current projected rotation and Steven Matz that could help them out and I get it I don't think it's still a necessity for them to go and add that top-end guy. If they can really load up this lineup and make it one of the most feared lineups in all of baseball, then it becomes a success. And I just don't know if you can truly do that without getting one of those shortstops. I I agree with that. Because the impact bat in the outfield, like, look, I agree Brandon Immel would be a great signing. He's not a guy that I would view as being the – he's more of a top-of-the-order hitter, and in my opinion, not really an impact bat. An impact bat is one of those shortstops that you go out and sign. Uh, Is Wilson Contreras an impact bat? I think he's an impact bat. His numbers show he's an impact bat. But I think he's not the guy to protect Goldie and Arenado. 
I think you have to get that bat and Wilson Contreras. In such a scenario, then, what you're describing means that the only impact bat they could add that is is fitting that description would be one of the shortstops or Aaron Judge. Because those are the only guys that fit the criteria that you're discussing right now. See, I think Contreras is... I think he's one of those protect the protect the bat guys, but I think you're looking for two. If that makes sense, I think you're looking for a guy to sandwich between Goldie and Arnado, and a guy to put at the back end. Because last year their problem, I, I'm actually with Alex. I, I don't view Wilson Contreras. I think we overestimate what Wilson Contreras is offensively. Sometimes he, I, he's a a very good hitter. I do not believe that he is an elite hitter. I think he, if he came to St. Louis, I think he would be. I, I know Cardinals fans. Look into the numbers. I think they fit what I'm talking about here. I think he'd be pretty similar to what you're expecting next year out of Lars Newbar offensively. Oh, see, I and disagree there. I think he's a little bit better there because I think you just Over the get, last three seasons, he's been about 12% above league average. But I think it's more consistency. Like, Lars Newpar is still kind of an unknown for me, but he's not the bat that protects Goldie and Arenado. Like, in my eyes, I'm envisioning a Wilson Contreras as my six-hole hitter. And I'm looking for somebody that's either going to hit two or five for me in front or behind Paul Goldschmidt and uh, um, Nolan Arenado. Over the last two years, Wilson Contreras is a 240 hitter that gets on base at a pretty decent clip, 34%, and he's averaging right around 20 home runs per year. That's that's a that's a good I hitter. Think, I think that's the guy that you bring in, and I know that maybe you guys don't view this as the protection and impact bat. He's the guy that I'm saying where I'm looking for a guy that goes between Goldie and Arnado. He's not that guy. He's the guy that goes behind them. He's the guy that hits fifth in the lineup, which the Cardinals were missing all season until Agreed. Albert picked it up at the second and half. And that's why you need to go get and, that other bat. And that's who I said that they needed to be looking for this offseason was that five-hole hitter. Contreras is that guy. Where's that other impact bat coming from? And if you're truly out on the judge and Otani market, which I think we can all agree on that, where are those impact bats? To your point, it's not in the outfield. None of those guys are impact bats outside of judge. It's at that shortstop the, market. The reason why I bring it up is because I think I would rather, instead of having Contreras, I would rather have a defensive guy there that can just be my defensive catcher, do what we've seen from Yachty over the years, and that guy can, you can do that for $5 million. And then I had a stud in the outfield. Like it's it is a similar type of bat. Like I'll get a Conforto, Benintendi, Brandon Nimmo, or Jock Peterson. I would honestly be fine with Jock Peterson. Add one of those four left-handed bats in the outfield instead of Wilson Contreras. Similar in terms of the salary slot that you're putting in there, and then I add one of those shortstops. I think I would rather go that route than adding Wilson Contreras in the offseason because of the type of player that I'm adding. See, I think so. Then I can have the shortstop adding like fifth. And one of those outfielders batting probably second or third. See, I think I look at that catcher position and say it's a position that I haven't gotten offense from in the last four years. I'd like to get offense from that position. But nobody else gets offense from their catcher either. But that's why I think it would be a luxury for this team if they can get offense from that position and go get another stud bat. And unless you're not getting unless you're not getting offense from your outfield because everybody else is. And, And that's where it becomes a potential issue is if you are adding that offense at catcher, it's nice. What's your outfield look like? As long as I'm getting a bat, even if he doesn't play the outfield, if I'm adding a Bogarts, I don't care what the production from the outfield is because I have a legit one, two, three punch. And then Contreras is giving me something that a lot of teams don't have production from their catcher. And I'll bank on Carlson having a bounce back year. And I'll bank on Jordan Walker being a part of Walker this team. being a part of it at some point, not being the impact back, but being a part of that mix. And also then I can hope that like someone like whether if they keep O'Neill, O'Neill bounces back or yep has is going to be a guy that's going to be a guy that can play left field and be productive for me offensively to where he's a solid number six hitter. That's the kind of idea that I'm thinking of if you add that shortstop. It, that's why I don't know if they're adding a starting pitcher. I know like they may be digging around a little bit for that high-impact guy. 
I'd trade I, for that. I, I think they showed their cards and said, we're going to gamble and think that Jack Flaherty's going to be healthy and be that guy. Or Jordan Montgomery, because they really like Jordan Montgomery. Let's get to that on the other side. 65780 is your comfort service tax line for in or out. In or out. The Cardinals add a significant starter by the end of the offseason. We'll answer that next year on the on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. That feel a little better now that Ooh. I'm back? It's like Michael Jackson style. Man, he was struggling. He can last hit week. that high note. He was struggling last week, let me tell you. Uh, well, I was losing my voice. I was doing a lot of talking, you know? Yeah, sure. That's what the problem was. Had to cover for our guy, T-Bone. I got nothing else. 65780 is your cover. line for in or out. We said this before the break. In or out, the Cardinals add a significant starting pitcher before the end of the offseason. Alex, you in or out? I think I'm out on this one, although I know everyone believes that it's going to happen. My, I actually think the majority don't think it's going to happen. My um, my only path to this is Shane Bieber. That's that's who I'm holding hope out for. The you know, lefty? You're not, yeah, the lefty. You're not getting <laughs> Verlander. You're not getting DeGrom. You're not signing Radon. Like, cancel those out. I don't think they're spending money free agency on those guys. I think I agree. But if they're going to get a legit stud, it's Shane Bieber with Cleveland. And I think you have the path for it with prospects and players who were on the major league roster this year. So that's my only path, but I think the majority of me feels that I'm out on this. For what it's worth, there was a piece in The Athletic earlier today from the Cleveland writer uh, who talked about what the what the Guardians' plans are going to be this offseason, and he basically said, hey, the number one priority this offseason for them should be trading from their depth to add some more significant pop. And boy, do the Cardinals have some options if you want to trade for power. Tyler O'Neill, maybe he's an option for them. You want to get somebody cheaper with club control? Well, boy, howdy, they've got Nolan Gorman. Did you just boy, howdy me? If you want somebody else, you, you know, might actually be of interest for the, the Guardians. Who's that? If the Cardinals are going to add somebody in the outfield this offseason, one of Lars Nupar or Juan Yepes could be of interest for the Guardians as well. So the, the Cardinals have, I say all of that to say, Cardinals have the options for Cleveland if they're willing to trade Shane Bieber. And what is it? Cal Quantrell. He's also another option that could be available. He doesn't have the same swing and miss stuff, so I'm not sure he would be the Cardinals top option, but he's another guy. I'm in. I think they end up getting one significant starter. I am very curious to see what they do after that, though, because I think it would lead to another move. And Miami's in the same spot, too. They're looking to trade from their starting pitching depth for outfield help. I'm going to say I'm out just because I, I agree. I don't think they're spending on that guy. I think they may talk about going to get someone like a Shane Bieber. The thing for me, though, is I just don't know who they move out of that rotation if they make that move occur. And I know a lot of people would say, well, you never have enough starting pitching. I, I just can't see them making the move. I, I think their rotation is set. I think they're running it back with Wayno. I think they're going to gamble on Jack Flaherty being healthy. They really like Montgomery swinging miss stuff that he brought last year. They'll probably gamble on him taking the step forward as well. And then they've got Matt and Michaelis at the back end of the rotation, too. So I don't see them making that move. I think they're going to focus their resources on offense, and maybe they spend a little bit in the bullpen. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, Mizzou gets to a bowl game this year. 
They're at four wins right now. They would need to win two more the rest of the season in order to and do so. Two of their... Really just one. They got New Mexico State, who they should yeah. kill. So Yeah, but every time I say Mizzou should kill that team, that's no, the team that they New get Mexico wiped State's with. one of the worst teams in the country. That that will be a win. And then it's basically... There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to be a loss. If they lose to New Mexico State, fire everybody. Like, <laughs> True. Not kidding. Um, Kentucky and Arkansas are the two games that they got to win one of those. Kentucky's an interesting one, and I know everyone would say Kentucky's going to wipe the floor with Mizzou, but you got two teams defensively who are top in college football this year for how good they've played. It's the offense that you're just concerned about there. So I'm going to say I'm out on this because I think the Kentucky one is going to be a loss, come away with two more victories, and I know you said it's probably bull. I just don't know if that gets them bowl eligible. So I say, I'm going to say I'm out. I think I'm going to say I'm in. I think they'll get to six. I think they beat New Mexico State, and then I think they either beat Arkansas or beat Kentucky. I think they win one of those. Missouri's defense has been pretty good. I saw some numbers on them over the weekend. I was just looking for them. Uh, They're top three in the SEC in conference play. They've been really good in conference play defensively, and Will Levis looks like he short circuits when he plays good teams, even though he's supposed to be one of the top quarterbacks in the draft. I think his stock has really fallen. I wouldn't be shocked if they beat Kentucky this weekend or if they end up if their sixth win ends up being against Arkansas. I think they win one of those two to get bowl eligible. I think this is the game that you gotta win. I I, I think Arkansas is gonna be tough. Styles make fights and Missouri has a tough time scoring. Kentucky also has a tough time scoring. They can beat the teams that struggle offensively. It's it's the teams that are really good offensively but stink defensively that give Mizzou problems. So I, I think Kentucky is the matchup that you got to look to. They've got to win this one, and I think that is what gets them to six wins. I do think they win on Saturday, so I will say I am in on this. I think they end up winning on Saturday and getting to six wins against New Mexico State. From the 3-1-4, guys in or out, the Cardinals will trade Jack Flaherty to the Dodgers this offseason, and Will Smith will be the answer to their catcher issues. I'm out on this because that's a lot of wheeling and dealing in the offseason, and I don't know if John Mozeliak's going to pull off because if you trade, trade Flaherty and you get your catcher, great, but now your rotation is in flux and I don't I don't believe they're going after Verlander or Tegram or Rodon. Are you gonna be able to accomplish acquiring Will Smith and a Shane Bieber to fix your rotation problem? So I'm out on this because I think they can address their catcher position by just spending money. So here's a question for you. I'm just as a follow up, because I don't know what my answer is to this honestly. But when you said it it made me think. Are they a better team if they trade Flaherty and I mean they're gonna have to trade more than just Flaherty, but like Flaherty Gorman and a prospect. I don't know who it would be for Will Smith, and then they re-sign Jose Quintana. So you've plugged your hole in the rotation with Quintana or somebody similar. Have you, though? That's what I'm asking. You you, you have added that guy into your rotation, cheap one-year deal I would for say a veteran. No. Look, I know everyone wants Jose. And then Jose- you add Will Smith to your lineup. Yeah, I would say no. A, by the way, better hitter than Wilson Contreras. Well, and probably a better manager of a rotation if everybody's claiming but I don't know, I don't understand the the want for Jose Quintana because I get that he pitched so well for you but do people really think that that's the Jose Quintana that's just going to be back here and I used him as a placeholder no I like, know I'm just saying throw in Quintana Kluber Tyler Anderson Nathan Avaldi Michael Walker like those guys in that mid mid-tier range you could throw any of them at that spot I just use him for familiarity's sake. I would say no. You good? Short-circuited, sorry. I would say no just because, sure, you're upgrading the offense with Will Smith and improving that catcher position. But, I mean, 
there's truly not the upside that Jack Flaherty can bring to your pitching staff with those guys. So it would have to come with another significant, like adding Carlos Rodon. Yeah, if you add Rodon or you trade for Bieber, then okay, I think then, yeah, that, that makes sense. And all those moves, I think, make the team better. It can't be we're trading Jack Flaherty for Will Smith, which and other prospects, as we mentioned, and you just go sign like Jose Quintana or someone like that. That that can't be the move. I so I'm out on this scenario. I kind of agree with Alex. There's too much wheeling and dealing. I think that would be comfortable for the Cardinals, even though we agree they're going to do significant stuff this offseason. I think I'm with you guys. I I don't believe the Cardinals are going to trade Jack Flaherty this offseason, just because I don't I don't think it really makes sense to. If you look at it like a stock, and, and that's part of the reason I don't think they add a starter because I don't think you trade Jack Flaherty because the stocks too low for what you should be selling him on if you're going to sell him, which is he's a potential ace. They like Jordan Montgomery, so I don't think they're moving Montgomery. He would be the one that I think they would. And I'm not reporting this. I am just like, this is pure speculation. If the Cardinals were to add a significant starter and then you've got to remove somebody from the rotation, just by going through and what would make the most sense, he had a very good season. He threw 180 innings. He's going into the final year of his deal He has legitimate value on the market, clearly, because the Cardinals traded a a legit starting center fielder for him. I think you could get a piece that makes sense for a Jordan Montgomery, and then maybe you deal him for like a a really solid reliever. That that would be the piece that if you're adding, I think he he would be the one that you would trade out. See, I think it would I think it would be Steven Matz, and I know probably there's no trade value there, but if you're getting somebody significantly back. I think you take the loss if somebody's willing to eat the rest of that contract on Steven Matz and say, well, we got the guy that makes our rotation better. And then you're sitting there, let's just say it's Bieber and Bieber and Flaherty and Michaelis and Montgomery rather than trading away Montgomery and believing in Matz that season. I'm out on this for what it's worth. I don't think this is something the Cardinals will do. I don't think that Will Smith is going to be the guy that they end up going out and acquiring. I do think it's possible he gets traded this offseason. We talked about this. That's not coming from us. That's coming from L.A. where they think it's possible. I never would have even brought up the name because I think it's crazy that they would trade Will Smith. He's awesome. But if he ends up getting traded, I I think he's probably somebody that is worth considering. uh, Somebody else that is worth targeting. Like This is the thing that's funny about this offseason. There are legit catchers that are available. Will Smith maybe could be available. Wilson Contreras is clearly available in free agency. Toronto has like four of them that are all really good. Yeah, but see, I think you have to give up a lot to get somebody from Toronto, and I don't know if I want to go down that path. Potentially. And then Sean Murphy is the other one. Again, I, I really don't want to go down that path. Not for what they're saying. He's going to be expensive, not in money, but in capital. In You're going to have to give up significant prospects for him. So, And I think the assets to get him could get you something a lot more beneficial for your team and you can find a catcher that can give you a little bit more than Sean Murphy. I'm with you. I I, I think if they end up adding a significant catcher this offseason, it's probably going to be Contreras. I think it's the money that they give up for that. And then they try to add either to the outfields or to their starting pitching by trading for that guy. Potentially relievers as well. Maybe that's the route that they go for them. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to dive into the junk drawer, but next the Blues aren't the only contender having early season issues. Are the Blues issues worse, though, than some of the other teams around the Western Conference? I'm not so sure. We'll discuss it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. My 
Montreal Canadiens are going to improve to five and four. And the bad teams from last year in the East have improved a bit this year as this one comes to a close. Seven to four the final. Canadiens erase a two-goal lead on the Blues and then stop the Blues on a Saturday night in St. Louis. That's what it sounded like over the weekend as the Blues lost their fourth straight in the regular season under Craig Berube for the first time with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, the Blues are struggling right now. We can all see that, but they are not the only team that we thought was going to be a contender coming into the season that is struggling. These are the teams that would miss the playoffs as of today. I know it's like 10 games in for most of these teams or less. Every game matters, man. Here we are. The Capitals, the Lightning, the Maple Leafs, the Penguins, the Avalanche, the Wild, the Blues, and the Predators. All of those teams, if the season ended today, which it doesn't, would miss the postseason. Alex, the reason why I bring that up is because I I think it gives context to what's happening right now with the Blues. Are they struggling? Absolutely. Do they need to get this turned around? No doubt. Are there other contenders that are also going through something similar as they transition from their previous core to the current core, their previous coaching staff to their current coaching staff, whatever it might be that has changed in the offseason or goaltending, whatever it is. Yeah, a lot of these teams are going through something similar right now as they try to figure out who they're going to be as this season progresses. Do you think that the Blues issues are worse than some of the other teams that we are talking about, though? Are these other teams in better shape to get their issues figured out than this Blues team is? No, I don't believe so, because I think the Blues issue is something that is solvable, rather than if you look at some of these other teams, I don't know how solvable some of these issues are. Like the Washington Capitals, they just found out that T.J. Oshie's going to be out for an indefinite amount of time, Nicholas Backstrom also, and they haven't scored a whole lot of goals. The the Tampa Bay Lightning um, have a little bit of a problem scoring goals also, which I look at that and say they can fix that, but they're also problematic defensively, giving up 28 uh, goals scored. The Toronto Maple Leafs spent all their money available to them on a goaltender that is out indefinitely for them, Mm. and they've given given up 30 goals. Their goal differential is a minus three. You go to the Blues or the uh, the Western Conference side. The Colorado Avalanche have only scored 29 goals. They've played two more games than the Blues and they've scored 11 more goals, but they've also got a plus two goal differential. So I think there are teams right now. I mean, Minnesota right now is given up 35 goals, which is one of the most right now in the National Hockey League. So the Blues issue of not scoring to me is not as bad as it could be for other teams in what they're going through right now. And that's why I think it's solvable if you look at where the Blues are at. Yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's different from some of these teams because I think the Blues will be fine. I think that eventually they'll get the five on five scoring going. Some of those teams though, as you mentioned, like Washington may not be able to I mean Colorado's scoring's down too at this point in the season. And like I think Colorado's still the best team in the Central and Division. They're, they're struggling giving up leads. Like they yeah. had a, a two goal lead on the Islanders the I, Saturday night and they lost it. So I, I don't think that they have I don't think the Blues have any issue that's different from all these other teams that are struggling. I think when we had Scotty Upshaw on, on Friday, he said like some of these top end teams, more teams have now kind of started to tighten up defensively it's not so much this pond hockey early on in the season and that's what's leading to some of these teams getting off to these slow starts Colorado's not generating enough scoring opportunities I think we Dom we mentioned it he had some offensive numbers and most of these teams that we've brought up that are sitting outside the playoff picture are all bottom end scoring and you don't expect them to be there moving forward top 10 last season yeah I I don't think it's an issue in which it's like oh man the Blues have all these different issues that are uh, that other teams don't have no I think it's the same issue that most of these teams have and I think the Blues will ultimately end up correcting I I know people don't want to hear it but I do think a little bit of luck is going 
the opposite direction on the Blues, especially when it comes to the amount of nets that they're missing when they take shots and not being able to capitalize. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Here's Craig Berube talking about what he wants to see from the Blues. We've mentioned the offense. Here's something he honed in on. You want to see chances, I mean, in the you know, offensively and how they're created and what they're doing and how much ozone time are they, you know, having and controlling. And, and then the other side of it, what are they doing defensively? Are they giving up more than they're getting? Are they giving up more than they're, you know, creating? So things like that. We have all those stats and, and metrics and all that. So we look at all that stuff. You mentioned there at the end, the stats, the metrics, the analytics. Yeah. I know nobody wants to say Wayne the Gretzky dirty word. they're for but... losers. That's not okay, smile. <laughs> Can we be honest? The Blues are kind of getting unlucky. I know nobody wants to hear it. I get it. And, and it's it's fair. Like, hey, well, the texter just said it's not luck, moron. It's sloppiness. Okay. There's some truth to that. Moron. Definitely. You, you, there is some. Some of it is they're not creating luck because they're not going to the front of the net. They're not creating what they always like to call the dirty goals where they, they're not getting the tip-ins. They're not getting the rebound opportunities. And that's on them. They got to do a better job of that. However, the Blues have missed the net 53 times in their four-game losing streak. Do we think that's going to continue? Do we think no. that on average they're going to lose or they're going to miss the net eight times or 13 times, excuse me, per game? No. Tart, hard math there. <laughs> no. You're the math guy, man. Their expected goals. I know. I know. I use the expected numbers. You're such numbers. a nerd, BK. If you look at their last four goals, the expected differential was one goal at five on five. They were supposed to be outscored roughly nine to ten. The actual goals... They were outscored by 10. <laughs> they were outscored 13 oh, wow. to 3 it's at 5-on-5. Five five. So again, the expected goal differential was 9-8, basically. 9-8, 10-9, somewhere around there. The actual goals was 13-3. to three. They're getting unlucky, guys. This is going to come around. Jordan Cairo, while the actual numbers look awful, you look at his point differential, the plus-minus while he's on the ice, whoo, buddy. He has straw gold. You look at the actual like expected numbers, the chances that they're creating, it hasn't been as bad as it feels. I, I know it feels bad. I, I really do. I get it. But this team's going to be all right. They're just going through a rough spot right now where they're not able to get any of the puck luck going that That way. Canadians game, and it's just the most recent example you can go off of, if Tyler Pitlick scores that goal, if Jordan Cairo scores that goal that were basically empty nets that they missed, you're talking about a 4-1 lead that St. Louis might just put the the foot on the throat of the Montreal Canadiens, and they're not coming back from that. Baruby said it today after practice. Hit the net. Chances we're missing are grade-A chances. They're not B. They're A's, and A's are A's. It's pretty simple. There, It's where you score your goals, those chances, and we're missing too many of them. I looked at it. Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo have missed the most shots this season. Those are your two young players. Those are two guys that hit the net a lot and score a lot of goals. Those those pucks hit the net. You're probably talking about a different start to the season. So I, I get it. I see people saying, of course, you're going with the excuses, you homers. <laughs> If this team carries this trend into December, exactly, then I will come on the air and say that this team was not unlucky. They were bad, Guys, but they, I don't expect that. I mean, we're what, seven games into the season? Like if, if this was, I know it's not, but if this was the baseball season, we'd be roughly 15 games in right now. We'd be playing the Tony La Russa cut. It's the first week of the season. And we, we would not be all that concerned. Now, like Alex said. If a, six weeks from now, we're having the exact same conversations and the offense has not gotten any better 
and the defense is still giving up significant scoring chances to the opponents, then sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll be right there with you guys saying, forget the expected numbers. I don't care what any of the underlying statistics say. This team's just not good enough and something has to change. I will be right there with all of you. But right now, it's a bad four game stretch. These things happen. And it hurts worse because we're in the beginning of the season. So there's not the same cushion that the Blues would typically have if this happened in like January when they almost always seem to have that weird midseason swoon. I, again, if they're if they're still struggling six weeks from now, we can have a very different conversation. But right now, I think it's more about luck and them not capitalizing on their chances than it is anything else. I, I think they're going to be all right. If you are somebody, though, that believes that Jordan Cairo was overpaid and he's not a very good player. If you were somebody that believes that Ryan O'Reilly is over the hill and he's going to finish the season with zero assists on the year. If you are somebody that believes that this third line just will never get anything going. And oh, by the way, that Falcon Krug are done. They're overrated. They've never been any good. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. In, in such a scenario, if you're one of those people, I get if you're down on the team right now. I'm not. I think Jordan Kyra is pretty good. I think Robert Thomas is an excellent centerman. I think that Ryan O'Reilly is going to eventually get things going. He had a weird start to the season last year as well. I think they're going to be all right, but they're going through a rush stretch right now. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Cardinals appear to be learning an important lesson from the remaining play- playoff teams. We'll tell you what that is coming up at 1 o'clock, but next, time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. would you go to to see your loved ones if they were in prison that uh was unexpected um let's dive into the juncture it's bk and ferrario here on 101 ESPN. follow up how'd my wife get in prison <laughs> didn't say wife specifically well who oh Aaron, okay. <laughs> i like that you uh yeah. you just immediately went to your wife i love her, her the most i love her the most you know figure my one-year-old and two-month-old can't go to prison so the reason i ask is because the former miss rhode island was convicted of lying to see her romantic partner in an ICE detention facility. Now, you may be asking, Alex, well, what'd she do? How'd she lie? What did she say to get in to see her romantic partner? Well, good friend, I read the story so I can tell you exactly that. That's good, because I probably wouldn't have. (laughs) Her name is Juliana Claire Straub. She is 36 years old. She was sentenced on Wednesday in Miami Federal Court after pleading guilty to misdemeanor charges of attempting to enter and entering a federal facility using false and fraud premises. So what she did is while the detention center in Miami was disallowing personal visitors because of COVID, this was uh, in 2021, so they were still not allowing people to come into their facilities because of the fear of COVID spreading into the, the prison, right? She decided, you know what? I've got an idea. I am going to pretend to be a paralegal. Oh. Oh. So. This is like a movie. 
she... I saw this in Breaking Bad. I saw this in Criminal Minds, too. (laughs) She said, you know what? That guy in there, he's my client. I work for a legal firm, and the reason that I should be allowed to see him is because I need him to sign legal documents. Prove me wrong. And they didn't. So she did it not once, not twice, multiple times. I don't see a problem here. Over the course of a month. Wow, I'm shocked she got away with it that many times. She also is a public official. She is a North Bay Village commissioner, a post that she will no longer hold after uh, the commissioners uh, don't lie. Right, Roger Goodell? She was denied entry once. You know what she did? She showed them her county or the the North Bay Village commissioner badge explaining that I am a public official and should be able to see him based on that accord as well. So this is the equivalent of somebody continuing to rob places, but like wearing the same outfit every time and making that one slip up. Um, I respect the hell out of it. So she ended up just getting some probation and she'll have to do oh, some. So she didn't get to go into the prison that her boyfriend was in no. because that would have made <laughs> yeah. it easier. She she got some no probation. Hey, we'll be spending a lot of time together, sweetheart. She's going to have to do some some public service as well. It, it's not a huge deal. 50 hours of community service. Glad you but don't think cr- crime is a huge deal, BK. Would I you do that? No. If, like, I don't know what... Katie would never. No. She would she never saint. end up going to prison. But if for whatever reason she's in prison... Now, she's my, a saint. My question would be, would Katie be willing to see Alex well, in prison? That's That's a better way to put it. If Alex was in prison, would Katie do whatever it takes during the middle of a pandemic to no. come see you? No. No. Because she'd probably say, you're an idiot for even getting into prison and would say, I don't need to come see you. I think my wife would. Really? I, I think Kara would. All right. I got to I gotta talk uh, to Kara because I'm not sure she would. <laughs> Kara's smarter than that. You're not going to break the law. I, I would. I'd do whatever it took. Why? You're, t- you're telling me all How I got How long was he in prison for? Uh, well, apparently it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> so there's at least a couple dude, of years. See, that's where, that's where the change well, is because like, and to be fair, I, I don't know exactly. It doesn't say in the story what he did or if he did anything. It's an ice detention center. So this might be a little more complicated than if we're I'm leading on dating, here. But if I'm dating the individual probably going to cut ties at that point because you're in jail. If I'm married to the oh, individual... I'm cutting ties there, too. I don't know if I would, depending on what they did. Now, if you murdered somebody, yeah, we're probably cutting ties, but if you... Yeah, oh, if, say that's probably if a good you're making it, If you're making it tough for me to see you, I'm done. I'm done. I'm leaving the game. It's <laughs> Tanner's over. all about convenience. Yeah, be, yeah. Tanner's all... So, listen up, ladies. If you're going to date uh, T-Bone, you got to make it easy on him. Yeah, it's got to be easy. Don't, don't pick him up pay him for his dinner. To be fair, I do feel like if you murder somebody, that's a fair, yeah. fair way to say hey, that's crossing the line. But see, for there's me. always gray areas there. <laughs> yeah, Why okay. did you murder somebody? Were they Touché. about to murder you and it was self-defense? You got to find those gray areas. I think I would do this. I, I, not only do oh, I no. think I would do this, yeah, but, I respect the hell out of her doing it. Yeah, but see, the problem between her and you is she could pull off being a lawyer. Touche. I'm Good shocked. Point. I am shocked that she was able to get away with it for as long as she did. I am. Her too. problem is she kept doing it. It's like you would have been fine if you wouldn't have kept doing it. Well, she clearly wanted to see her boyfriend in prison. Somebody said BK would do very poorly in prison. You, sir or ma'am, are 100% correct. I would not do well in I prison. I think all three of us would do poorly in prison. Who do you think would do the worst? 
Oh, Tanner. I think Alex. Oh, no shot. Tanner would do the worst. I, I think you would be terrible in prison. Alex would mouth off to the wrong person. Yeah. It doesn't would. matter about mouthing off. It's all about looks. And you don't get to wear headphones when you go through lunch line. So I don't need you'd be in an awkward oh, spot By the way, there. I was at the grocery store last week, and I saw an individual with over-the-ears headphones. I wanted to take did a you, picture. Did you say hi? Nope. I wanted to know because we were both wearing headphones. I wanted to take a picture, but I'm like, man, this is going to be real awkward if I take a, a picture of this girl in the frozen food section wearing over-the-ear uh, headphones. No, but she would have understood. It's not yeah. just me, man. You guys have an understood kinship. Yeah, that's true. Her and I just have that unspoken bond where it's yeah. like, we just don't want to talk to people. I guarantee you she got in and out of the grocery store faster than anybody else there. I'm shocked you guys, like, didn't make eye contact and both just give a subtle nod. Like, oh, man. you know what's up. You don't even look at people in the grocery store for the over-the-ear headphones. Oh. Uh, by the way, I will say, on the subway, which is a very different situation, obviously, than going to the grocery store, a lot of over-the-ear uh, over headphones. That's because if you take your headphones off on the subway, someone's taking something from you. In New York, man... I got a lot of earbuds, a lot of the the air AirPods. AirPods. Those are popular in Chicago too. I, in the public I transit. never knew who was talking to me versus just talking on their phone. Well, I would like I would like to think that to since you're the visitor, they weren't talking <laughs> you to you. Never know though; it could have been anything. Uh, that's why I always have them on We're because the guys the like BK. BK. <laughs> BK wants to talk all the time, and I'm like, dude, nobody wants to talk right now. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Lou Korak, Blues Insider. We want to talk to him about what's going on with this Blues offense. Can it be fixed quickly? We'll talk to Lou about that coming up at 1:15. But next, the Cardinals sound like they have learned a lesson from the pl- the teams that are still remaining in the postseason. It's a significant one. It could impact their offseason plans. We'll tell you what that is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Normally, I'd gloat about that, but I don't want to. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's good, but I'm, I know that, you know, we're going to have to add to this. So, you know, we're not, we're not drawing any conclusions today, but we're excited that we know we can go win with five if we had a break today. Good news is we don't have to break today. That was Sean Mosellock last week talking about the Cardinals rotation. That was after they announced that Adam Wainwright was going to be returning to the rotation in 2023 for one final season. So as currently constructed, the Cardinals could have their five-man rotation set if they wanted to. Miles Michaelis, Jack Flaherty, Stephen Matz, Jordan Montgomery, and Adam Wainwright would likely construct your five-man rotation. Now you've got other options. Dakota Hudson's on the outside looking in, most likely. Matthew Liberator uh, could factor in at some point next year. You still have Andre, Andre Pallante as well. And you've got some guys that are on their way up with the Gordon Graceffo, Michael McGreevy. At some point next year, maybe they could factor into the mix as well. But going into the season, that's likely your starting five if the season started today. That being said, Alex, I did find it interesting that in that quote, John Mosellock said, you can never have too much pitching, basically. We're always looking to continue to improve. Do you think they're still looking at this rotation? Or do you think that, realistically speaking, they're probably set? I think you always have to look at this rotation because of what the last few years have done to your team. I mean, this season you had Steven Matz and Jack Flaherty go down. The season prior it was Flaherty and Michaelis. You know Adam Wainwright's coming back, but you also don't know if that body can hold up for a full season. Jordan Montgomery has had injuries in the past. Like, there's no nothing set in stone with this rotation going into the season. Say, yeah, we got guys who are going to be there for us all year long. So I think you're always looking at it. 
But I also don't think the Cardinals are going into this offseason saying, okay, we have to address our rotation. And let's look at the guys available via free agency. I think this is one of those offseasons that you say, hey, if guys become available via trade that falls into our laps, i.e. Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, where we got to jump on this right now, then you address that and figure it out afterwards. But you don't go into this offseason with a checklist of the priorities and have starting pitching in your top three because there are other problems that you need. And as Mo said, I could start the season with five guys and say, I'm good to go. And if problems arise, then I can address it. But I, I think it's always something you look at, but not at the beginning of the offseason. I think what you said of them kind of looking at that trade market and seeing if someone kind of falls into their hands or a deal presents itself that's just too good to pass up then I think they make that kind of move. But otherwise, I think they're just going to be looking to add like signings that are depth guys. And I don't even mean depth guys like we mentioned earlier, like Quintana, Kluber. I think it's more of the guys that come in on like the minor league invites like Aaron Brooks was last season. Is hope for him to be that pitching depth because I don't think they're truly in on the top end guys, DeGrom, Verlander, Rodon. And then it's just hard to lure in someone like a Corey Kluber and say, hey, we want you to come pitch for us. Well, I can look at your rotation see there's five guys already there. So what is my spot exactly? Like it's tough to bring those guys in. So if that's the case, then I think what they'll be doing is they may be looking at that pitching market in terms of the trade market, like Shane Bieber, as we've mentioned. If someone else becomes available, maybe Arizona looks to move like Merrill Kelly, for example. Then I think they'll have some interest in that, but I don't think they're going to be like pushing as, oh, yeah, that needs to become our number one priority this offseason. I think their focus is going to be more on the offense, and then if a really good deal just happens to present itself, then they'll make the move, and then they'll figure it out from there. Cleveland, Miami, maybe the White Sox. Those are probably the teams that you're looking at where you're saying, if something happens here, give us a call. If you guys are interested in moving on from one of your swing and miss starters, we'll talk. The reason why is because of these two lists I'm about to give you guys. The first list is a group of five teams. So is the second list. You tell me what you think these teams are grouped by. First list, the Rays, the Mets, the Braves, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. Those are all pretty good teams. We can all agree with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here's your second list. The Diamondbacks, the Royals, the Nationals, the Tigers, and the Cardinals. They're pretty good. Well, the Royals list is on that, though, so it can't be that good. The first list was the top five teams in Major League Baseball and swing and miss stuff from your starters. The second list was the bottom five teams in Major League Baseball this year and swing and miss by your starters. The Cardinals were dead last when it came to swing and miss by their starters this year. Now, Jack Flaherty helps that. If you get a full, healthy season out of Jack, that should improve. Jordan Montgomery should help that. Steven Matz, a full season from him, again, should help that. But if you could go out there and get a guy like a Lucas Giolito or a Pablo Lopez or Shane Bieber in the trade market, I still think they should at least be looking to explore those options. And if that means trading one of those left-handed options in Matz or Montgomery, I think you consider it, guys. I know that that sounds weird because you just acquired those two guys this past year. But if you've got an option to upgrade your roster, you do it. I don't care what the opportunity cost is in terms of having to give up on one of those other starters. I think that's a move you have to at least explore. Yeah, I mean, if I can get myself a guy that is the clear-cut ace of this team and who's locked up for some term because that's the other thing is the uncertainty of after this season with your pitching staff for for how many guys are going to not be on this team. 
you got to get something that you can say, okay, this is our anchor moving forward. Just the like only you, starter that is in your five man right now that would be signed for twenty twenty four would be Stephen Matz. You got to do with your pitching staff what you did with Nolan Arenado, where you say, okay, this is the this is the face of it moving forward. Who's that guy? Maybe it's locking up a Jordan Montgomery if you say that this guy could be it for you. Or he's not a number one though. I agree. But if there's only so many number ones available to you that you could realistically pull off. So that's why if I can upgrade it, I'll do exactly what you do when you have a plethora at one position. It's I'll figure it out. I mean, look at what we've talked about with the blues this season, nine defensemen. How are they going to play all these guys? We, we still having that conversation right now. No, thank God you have Callie Rosen because you'd be talking about six guys. So I'll figure it out. You know what? If I got to tell Steven Matz, look, you could still be a part of this rotation because injuries are going to arise but you're going to start in the bullpen for us. I'll I'll suck that up because that makes my pitching staff that much better if I have depth to it rather than having the uncertainties that come with the injuries. I think the rotation is something they explore. I think the bullpen is something that they address, definitely. And part of that is because of this comment from John Mozeliak on the Cardinals radio network over the weekend. You sort of look at at postseason rosters right now and, and you see a lot of swing and miss in that bullpen. For those bullpens, and so it's just you know it's, it's a horsepower game right now, and, and so like you know trying to understand like how this all fits is something that we have to focus on. Now you know our team can can benefit probably as well as anybody from ground ball pitchers because we have such good defense, but it's still something that you know you're not always trying to like quote keep up with the Joneses, but you know having some more horsepower down in that that bullpen I think would also be something that we have to think about. Now the Cardinals bullpen was better with swing and miss stuff than their rotation was but not by a wide margin. Their bullpen the only teams that were worse than them in terms of swing and miss this year were Pittsburgh, Arizona, Baltimore and Colorado. That's it. You are in the bottom five ranked based on the swing and miss stuff from your bullpen. Alex, this is something I think they have to address this offseason. And I'm not suggesting they go out there and sign Edwin Diaz to some nonsensical five-year, hundred-million-dollar contract. That's the opposite of the lesson that they should have learned from all of the bullpen acquisitions that they've made over the last five years. What they should do is they should probably make a trade. Like, if you're going to trade one of these starters because you go out there and add somebody you should probably be looking to acquire a significant term on a reliever that you can have for the next four years. If you're going to trade a Tyler O'Neill, maybe in that trade, you include a reliever that you think can fit into the back end of, of your bullpen. Those are the kinds of things that I would be looking at, but I agree with John Mosaloc. I think a necessary addition this off season is somebody that can fit into your seventh to ninth inning mix that has legit swing and miss stuff. I think they need that. I agree, but I also don't want to spend a ton of money on that. Totally with you. Because I think there are money, as I've always stated, you need to allocate your funds elsewhere because of the problems that you've gone through the last couple of seasons. And I mean, looking at the list of free agents this upcoming season, I I, I mean, are there, are there names that str- I don't, I don't think- want, I don't want to sign a free agent release. So it's got to be through a trade. Yeah. And how many teams are going to be willing to trade that away? I'm sure somebody always appears with that. Cardinals have good options. That's the thing is they they have stuff that other teams need. And a reliever would be the first thing that teams typically are willing to trade. And I'm not saying they're tied together, but let's go down this path. If you had two things in front of you that says you could go get yourself a guy that fits through the seventh or ninth or get a legit ace. Those are very different trades, though. Like the ace is going to cost you legit prospects. That guy that could fit into your seventh through ninth inning mix. You might be able to trade like a Tyler O'Neill and get one of those guys plus you know, a prospect. But if you him. want Shane Bieber, Tyler O'Neill might be a piece of that. 
Maybe. Uh, but what I'm saying is I don't think they're mutually exclusive. You could do both of those things and also go sign a significant addition this offseason. Like I, if you want to go out there and get a mid-level reliever that's going to cost a one-year, $8 million contract, I have no issues with that whatsoever. But if you're telling me they could potentially go out there and acquire a guy and give him like the Brett Cecil deal, I have no interest and I don't care who the name is that you attach to it. Yeah. I just don't want to add another guy like that to this bullpen because we've seen how how crazy difficult it is to make those contracts work. They they just fail. They they fail a lot. Brad Hand was a guy that I thought wouldn't fail. He failed. All the all of these contracts seemingly go the wrong direction. Yeah, if they're going to go sign someone to the bullpen, it needs to be like a one two year deal. Like that that's the best issue to do, and it should be more than just like the Drew Verhagen signing, which was two years like six million dollars. It it should be someone that's probably going to cost around ten million a year. Like Corey Knebel is a guy that I would circle, but he's dealt with injuries in the past. Uh, Michael Gibbons, I've brought up in the past. Uh, your guy from uh, went to Baltimore. I'm drawing a blank on his name here. Uh, Oh, what is his name? Alex Colmay. Colmay is another one of those guys that you look at on a one-year deal. Or you go the route, and I agree, and I, I think it, you could look at if you're going to move Tyler O'Neill, it could be very similar to what the Luke Voigt deal was, where it was yeah. you go out and you get a reliever that is either young and still developing that you think is going to be a stud, which they got Giovanni Gallegos in that deal, and then you attach someone else with him, or you go out there and you just swap him one for one for a reliever that's already established himself. Like I, I think that's the route they probably look to go is they move O'Neal and go get a high-end reliever, and then if they're going to trade for an ace, they can use some of their prospect pool to go make that happen. I think that's the way they'll look at it. But if they were to sign another reliever as well, because I said all season I thought they need another bullpen arm because as sexy as Hicks throwing 102 is, he doesn't get swing and miss stuff, and he's just too inconsistent. I, if they hit the bullpen market, I, I would understand as long as it's a one- or two-year deal as well. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters. But next, Luke Korak joins the show. He's the Blues Insider. You can find him on Twitter. He's at LKorak10. we got to find out his perspective on this Blues offense. Is it going to get fixed? Luke tells us next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are always happy to go out to the Brown and Crippen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend and the Blues Insider. He's Lou Korak joining us here on the show. Lou, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? What's up, guys? Uh, we're doing all right. So let's talk about the Blues because things have uh, not gone well over the last few games, to say the least. It, when you assess the offense, Lou, what do you think is the number one issue for them right now? Um, probably just, uh, putting shots on goal and Craig Berube has addressed that the last couple of games. Um, you know, what surprised me guys, I looked it up here a little bit, um, a little bit ago. Um, I thought that they would have maybe been at the top of the league in this, but they're averaging over 12 shots a game that's missing the net. And that sounds like a high number to me, but man, I looked it up and, uh, you see Carolina up there at number one at over 18 shots per game missed. That's that's a crazy, insane number. And there's a lot of teams that are averaging right now double digits. I don't know if this is uh, kind of problematic going on around the league, but it sure sounds like it. But the biggest thing with the Blues is they're getting, as Craig Berube said, they're missing the net on grade A chances. And that and that shouldn't be happening. Uh, it's going to look, nobody's going to be perfect. We understand that. But the amount of grade A chances they're getting in the game 
and a lot of them are empty nets, and they're not even hitting the target. If, if you force a goalie to make a save, that's one thing. But when you're completely missing the net, that's another. And I think that's probably their biggest problem right now. I don't think that was such the case a couple nights ago against Montreal. Like Craig Berube said, he scored four goals in the game. That should be enough to win the game. So there are other things that are going on, but from an offensive perspective, uh, they need to just start hitting the target more. Lou, I was looking at that same stat that you just brought up, and it is wild to think that they're that low with that amount of missed nets. But I was looking at it also with the Carolina Hurricanes. They're averaging 36 shots per game, which is sixth highest in the NHL. So I know Craig Bruby has always preached like quality over quantity, but do you feel like maybe it should turn into a little quantity over quality because of their struggles? I think so. And that that kind of goes hand in hand, Alex, because when you look at the defensemen and and you and I, we sit upstairs and, you know, JR will be sitting with us and we watch the game and we're thinking, when's that shot going to be coming from the point on a more consistent basis? And I think what's going on there is, is perhaps maybe the defensemen are, are a little shy of pulling the trigger there because they need, a, they need a little bit more net front presence to me. If you get more net front presence, then you're probably more than willing and able to get some of those shots coming from the point because now you know you've got teammates in front of the net that could perhaps collect some of those loose rebounds. So I think those kind of go hand in hand. And once those two start to work each other out, I think you're going to see that a little bit more. But you're right. I mean, I think they can average that. Before the last couple of games, um, they were actually, I think, going into the Edmonton game last week. They were 30th in the league in, in shots on goal per game at the time. Of course, they came up with 38 against the Oilers, and uh, it was, uh, I believe, 42-35. I think, yeah, they had 35 in Nashville on Thursday, and I can't remember what it was a couple of nights ago against Montreal. I think they were back in the 20s again, but they started to pick that back up again. But, you know, I think you, you just need to get more volume right now because the more volume you throw at the net, the more opportunities there are going to be for guys to maybe be around the net and collect some of those second and third opportunities, which they need obviously more of. Lou, when we looked at it this offseason and we were talking about, okay, how, how did the Blues replace the David Perron production? Because you're going to have to do it in the aggregate, right? It's not just, hey, Jake Neighbors needs to suddenly be David Perron. It's got to be a bunch of them that are able to repl- replicate the production that he was able to give you. I, I look at some of the guys that they've they've hoped would be able to do that, and you look at like a Jake Neighbors with one goal, zero assist. Ivan Barbashev one goal, zero assist. Logan Brown hasn't really played much, but has yet to record a point so far on the season. When you look at that third line in particular, what have you seen from them that has gone wrong so far this year? Just a lot of inconsistency. And I think that goes with, uh, and, and that does go into effect where the injuries come into play here, because when you take Buchnevich and of course he's back now and you take sod out of the lineup, that's two of your uh, top six forwards. Well, now you're going to have to pull Braden Shen up, and he's playing up now. And when you got a Braden Shen centering your third line, that gives it more stability there. Now you've got neighbors. Now you've got Shen. Now you've got Barbashev. Now you've got something there. Well, they've had to play a hodgepodge of players there right now, and there, there just hasn't been enough consistency. And, and it's been somebody different every game. Tonight, it's going to be Neighbors, it's going to be Brown, it's going to be Barbashev. It's going to be a little, there's going to be a little bit more bite to it there. And you'd like to see so out of Logan Brown, especially considering he was having a good training camp, the injury set him back. Um, Maybe they brought him back into the lineup uh, before he had enough reps 
where he can get himself uh, in 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 game shape and game ready to be, to go because the two games he played, he just wasn't very effective. Uh, you know, you play Barbashev in that role; he's the one that's supposed to bring you some of that physicality and bite. Uh, until you get Brandon Sod back, um, you're going to have to play Braden Shen up. And once you get Brandon Brandon Sod back, you can pull Braden Shen back down there, and now you're now you've got a little bit more depth and you got a little bit more balance. So. Until that time comes, uh, you're going to have to just kind of play mix and match here and hope that something works, and this is the line they're going to give a shot tonight. Lou, um, with the exception of that Jets and Predators game and, of course, the Canadians the other night, I actually thought the defense has played a really good start to the season, specifically in the two games against Edmonton. But if you hone in on Justin Falk and Tory Krug, I'm not sure what's gone wrong with those two, but it just doesn't seem to be meshing the way we've seen it meshed in the past. Yeah, it's crazy to think because, yeah, they have played very well together. Um, and, Alex, I'll be honest with you, I again, it plays into other areas on the ice. I just don't think that they're taking care of the puck very well. And when you're not taking care of the puck, to me, more or less in the offensive zone, it has a reflection on your defensemen because now they're having to backtrack and now they're having to defend against odd man rushes. And that's – and that's been a problem here in the last couple of games. So until they start taking care of the puck better, um, these things are going to happen. And, you know, with Krug and with Falk, I think that eventually this is all going to play. It's all going to play out and it's all going to start working itself out here. Uh, Todd McClellan, we talked to him, uh, makes a good point. You know, when the LA, after the LA Kings uh, practice today, he said, you know, he didn't want to just talk about the Blues. He wanted to talk more about his team. But a lot of teams are just trying to find uh, to find themselves here in the early going, trying to kind of find that identity. And I think that that's kind of been a league-wide thing. The Blues are playing into it right now because they got off to such a good start with the three wins. But I think those two will be okay. And you can say the same thing about Letty and Pareko. They've had uh, they've had their ups and downs here. Uh, maybe not not exactly clean like we've been used to seeing with those two together. But uh, right now uh, there's a lot of things going on on the ice, not just with Krug and Falk, but with with the entire group, they just need to get a win to kind of get things righted again here. Lou, final question that I've got for you. And we're talking to the blues insider, Lou Korak. You can find him on Twitter. He's at L Korak 10. The Kyrou and O'Reilly pairing has not gotten off to the start that anybody was hoping for. They're both minus 10 on the ice so far this season. Neither of them has an assist on the year thus far. And I know there's been plenty of conversation about Kairou specifically. Some of the underlying numbers for that line are okay. But when you watch, it just doesn't seem to be clicking the way that we hoped. Is that a pairing that you think has a long-term future? Or do you think that eventually they're going to have to kind of shake those things up and, and try something new long-term there? That's an interesting question there, BK, to be honest with you. Uh, and that's something that I've thought about here myself. Uh, it's a small sample size. So I, I'm going to give it some more time here, but you can obviously see that it just doesn't have the kind of bite that O'Reilly and Perron had. Now, granted, those guys played together. We're talking about for, for years, you know, and and you're talking about a boatload of games here that they had together and it just seemed to go well. Uh, I think it, they're just two different styles of players for me. And and, and I hate to put it this way because Buchnevich, Thomas, and Tarasenko have been so good together. I just think in the long run, especially, and, and this is all going to play into effect because we don't know how those contracts with like O'Reilly and Tarasenko is going to go in the future. I just think eventually this is going to play into where you're going to see 
Thomas and Cairo together. I think they go more together than O'Reilly and Cairo do, if that makes any sense, because they just they just seem to play more into Cairo and Thomas, I should say. They play into each other's hands more and and have an understanding of what the other brings and gives on the ice. Not to say that these guys can't, but right now you're just not seeing it. And you're gonna be you're gonna need that if you're gonna continue to play them together because they're gonna be playing 18, 19, 20 minutes a night and uh you're going to have to get production from those guys and not just from Buchnevich, Thomas, and Tarasenko right now. We'll be watching as the Blues try to get things back on track. The Blues versus the Kings tonight on Halloween, 7 o'clock. Puck drop for that one. Alex will have Spooky. pregame coming up at 6 o'clock, and we'll be paying attention to all of Lou Korak's great work on Twitter, at LKorak10. Lou, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again soon. Okay, boys, take care. See you, Lou Ball. That is Lou Korak here on 101 ESPN. I think what he's saying there at the end with uh, the combination of of Kairou and O'Reilly, like we can all see it. it. It doesn't seem to be a great pairing. I think they just play totally different styles, Alex. And this was my concern coming into the year with that grouping, is that when you have a guy like Ryan O'Reilly who's playing that grinded-out cycle style, and then you have Kairou, he be honest a little bit more of a freelancer and he's, he's playing this free-flowing game I, I think you just put him with Thomas who plays that way a little bit like Thomas plays with more structure than Kairou does but he can play with he he has been with Kairou before and those two have worked together I, I think the tough part is like okay if you go that route who do you put with Ryan O'Reilly. It has to be Buchnevich. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say, who do you put with Thomas and Cairo? Because that, I mean, that pairing's a liability. Let's let's call it what it defensively? is. Defensively? Defensively, it, it, it's a liability. I don't think we put enough credit, we give enough credit to Thomas defensively, but Agreed, but there are some struggles with Thomas's game on the defensive side of sure. things. Uh, me and he can be loose with the puck at times. Me personally, I think you, you have to put Buchnevich or Shen if you're going to put Thomas and Cairo together. I think it's Buch. And then if that's the case, then you're going Shen and Tarasenko with O'Reilly. But understand, Tarasenko plays a little bit of that style that Jordan Cairo does as well, with the exception of Tarasenko. Will... I think he's a little more structured, though, than Cairo. Is that fair? He's a little more structured just in terms of being aware of the two-way forward position, that if you're going to chip in, you have to make sure somebody's going to defend for you so that you're not going to give up an odd man rush. Whereas Cairo's going in, he'll fig- he figures somebody's going to cover it for him. But the other thing with with Tarasenko is Tarasenko is not going to be winning those puck battles along the boards. Jordan Kyrie is not winning those puck battles along the boards. What David Perron did was he won those puck battles. Do you think it's eventually Shin, Saad, and O'Reilly? I don't think Saad's on that line. I think it's eventually Shin, Tarasenko, and O'Reilly, or Shin, O'Reilly, and Buchnevich. And then it's going to be Saad on your third line. Because as Craig Berube likes to form his lines, you've got to have a puck mover on each line, but you also have to have somebody who's going to forecheck hard. And Saad is a guy who can forecheck but you also have to make sure that you're putting that in the accessible areas with your line combination. So I just think right now you're looking at that top six. I wouldn't be surprised if tonight it's Shen O'Reilly Tarasenko to start off to see if you could get some consistency out there. Coming up tonight, we will have Blues versus Kings. Again, Alex will have your pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock. Um, we will hopefully see a better version of the Blues tonight no, man, on the We ice. will. We will rock you. Coming up next... Well, it's some NFL quick hitters, including which one of these is the worst coaching performances so far this year in the NFL? I think there's a few different options for us. We'll get into them next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Uh-huh. 
with some NFL quick hitters. We'll get into a few more tomorrow on the show with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kylie. Let's start with this. The worst coaching performance in 2022. Alex, we have added a few new nominees to the list. Oh, yeah. We've known all year. Nathaniel Hackett. That guy's a hacky job. Dan Campbell. My joke, man. Not going well for my boy in Detroit. I bought in hook, line, and sinker with their hard knocks performance. Whoo, buddy. Looks like he is probably going to be fired after the year. Cliff Kingsbury still doing his thing in Arizona where he's also likely to be fired. Boy, oh boy. Josh McDaniels, though. Did you see the Raiders were held scoreless? They were shut out for the first time since playing in St. Louis against the Rams. So you know it's been a minute that since they been have been bad. shut out. And they lost to a bad Rams team. Which of those four coaching performances so far this year, Alex, do you think is the worst? Uh, Hackett, McDaniels, Campbell, or Kingsbury? Honestly, you throw Campbell out. Like, it's still a bad team, regardless. Like, it was going to be that. I don't blame Cliff Kingsbury as much as I blame Kyler Murray. So it comes down to Hackett and McDaniels. And in all honesty, I blamed Nathaniel Hackett a lot this season because I think he's probably the worst coach out of this group until I saw that performance yesterday with Josh McDaniels. How the hell do you go scoreless when you've got Devontae Adams on your team? I think fantasy-wise, he was held to .5 points. They only got in Saints territory once last year, and it was on their final drive of the game in garbage time. And then your defense gave up three touchdowns to Alvin Kamara, who has not been that good this season. So that was probably the worst display of coaching that I have seen in a while and Josh McDaniels is a perfect offensive coordinator he is not a head coach and I think he is probably at the top of this list uh, with Nathaniel Hackett close behind yeah I think I'm leaning Josh McDaniels because I kind of agree with Alex that roster's just not good enough for Dan Campbell he's got a really good offense he just does not have the defensive pieces that should be at that level I look at Cliff Kingsbury I knew he was going to be bad so he's just kind of lived up to expectations nah man Cod's to blame for that yeah true but Nathaniel and Nathaniel Hackett's been bad too but Josh McDaniels I mean you came in with all these expectations you finally went and got that number one wide receiver in Devontae Adams and like he barely did anything in your offense yesterday so I think it's Josh McDaniels I kind of agree with Alex he looks more like he can just be a offensive coordinator and the fact that the Raiders had all these high expectations going into the season which Denver had too they're sitting at the very bottom of that division I I think he's been the most disappointing although I will say I wouldn't be shocked if three of the four of these guys get fired this offseason I could see four out of four I'm not sure Campbell gets fired I think the the one that I am not sure gets fired is McDaniels actually I think Hackett with new ownership there, definitely possible. I think Campbell gets fired. He's won four games over the last two seasons. At some point, enough is enough. And I like Dan Campbell, but I, oof, buddy, it's going poorly. Uh, Josh McDaniels, I don't understand how it's gone this poorly for him. Now, to be fair, at the beginning of the season, they were getting unlucky uh, a few times. And I know that it's about the results. You got to win. They were very close against L.A. They probably should have beat Arizona. They had every opportunity to beat Kansas City if their two wide receivers do not run into one another at the end of that game. But this week was an atrocity. That that cannot happen on the road in New Orleans. And now it looks like their season is potentially going into down the tube. If they lose this week against Jacksonville, it's over. And you can just go ahead and put them to bed because it. if you can't beat Jacksonville, you can't really beat anybody. Yeah, Jacksonville's a good team. Remember, Ooh, it, it, they're bad. I, I've been now? shocked by this. I thought that the I thought the McDaniel's experiment would go better this time around, and it it just clearly hasn't. Speaking of going poorly, which of these first round quarterbacks from last year 
Would you now, if you could do it all over again, which one would you want to lead your franchise for the next 10 years? Trevor Lawrence, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, or Justin Fields? God, I think I just threw up in my mouth on all four of those. Um, you want me to start? No, I mean, I think mine's Justin Fields. I agree. Because out of all I of am. these, the quarterback with absolutely nothing in terms of weapons has actually made something out of it. Agreed. So Justin Fields is it. I think Justin Fields in the right system can be not Josh Allen, but get close to that because he runs the ball. I think he's going to be Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to be an. That's a good. That's a good comp. That's a really good comp. I because I think he can. I think his passing game will pick up when he gets wide receivers around him. We've seen him run the ball. He ran the ball pretty well yesterday in that uh, blowout loss to the Dallas Cowboys. I agree. He's doing the most with the least around him. Mac Jones has been bad. In fact, I'm. I'm he got benched for Bailey Zappi. It took me a minute just to remember that guy's name. Yeah, Bailey Zappi actually was good. Zach Wilson, I don't trust. Trevor Lawrence, I just, I'm not sure he's an NFL quarterback. He's fine, but he hasn't, he hasn't taken that next step that I thought he would remember under Doug Peterson. Remember all the hype of t- Trevor Lawrence? Like I, he was the next Peyton Manning for so many people, and all of it was justified. Yeah, his college pedigree was unquestioned. He destroyed Alabama's defense, which had ten different pros on it. And I I don't understand what's happened. He's one of the worst quarterbacks that we watch on a week-to-week basis. Like, bottom five starting quarterback in the NFL right now. Mac Jones is there with him. I I think that's fair. I think both of those guys. I think Zach Wilson might be the worst quarterback that starts week-to-week in the NFL right now. He's got the best game off of the field. Fair. And when you watch him, like, prior to the throwing of the football part of playing quarterback, <laughs> he looks really good. Like, he looks like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he's got one of those tools. He's running around like a little water bug. Yeah, he, he does. <laughs> like, the, he's got the pirouette in his his repertoire. He scrambles really well. And then he throws the football. And you're like, what, what are you doing? His decision making is awful. I, I picture him always going, Kobe. <laughs> Kobe. <laughs> it's horrible. But Justin Fields, they finally decided, hey, we're going to run the offense that every Every person on the internet for two years has been telling the Bears to run. It's like, oh, that works. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, you. Justin but Fields I'm, would be the one. I'm Jacksonville, New England, and the Jets right now. I'm thinking P.J. Walker might be a better quarterback for us than these three options. I, I wonder if Jacksonville will, because they're going to end up with a high pick. I wonder if they're going to look at someone in this quarterback class that's coming out. Gotta they'll think move they on from Lawrence for Young, quickly. right, from Alabama. I, Although it maybe, kind of is the same quarterback that you're going I mean, after, think, just a I different think, name. I think Bryce Young will end up being in uh, Detroit, because Detroit's probably going to end up with a number one pick. Him, Them or Houston, and I think Young probably goes number one overall. And yeah. I, I think that one yeah. of those two end up with them. Or Stroud. C.J. Stroud's oh, yeah, really Stroud, good, too. Yeah. C.J. Stroud's good, yeah. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind, including I believe that the Cardinals are going big game hunting this offseason. I think that means they add at least one 20 plus million dollar salary to the books. Do these two agree with me? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101espn.com the free 101 espn app is where you find it. it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers and while you are on the 101 espn app you can vote for my punishment no surprise i'm back and i am getting punished once again for this week's pick em challenge you can also do that on twitter at 101 espn all right before we get out of here today alex my 
my big thing that I came up with while I was on vacation and I was doing all that nerdy research on the plane was I, I am absolutely convinced that the Cardinals are going to add at least one significant salary to the books. And what I mean by that is 20 plus million dollars per year. I'm talking Wilson Contreras, one of those shortstops, a legit front end starter, somebody of that ilk. I think the Cardinals are doing it this offseason because they said straight up. We are adding payroll compared to where we were a year ago. To do that, they got to add like $50 million in payroll this offseason somehow, some way. Do you think they're going to do that? Do, do you agree with me? I do. I think they will. And I think it's going to be one of these shortstops. I think it's going to be one of Correa, Turner, Bogarts because they need the bat. And frankly, I think I've convinced myself that it's going to be Xander Bogarts because he just makes the most sense. A guy who can play shortstop for a season for you, then shift to second base and then become your DH for the remainder of that contract and be a guy who's hitting you 300 or above pretty much every single season. So uh, I'm convinced on that. I think I've already convinced myself that Wilson Contreras is going to be a Cardinal also. So yeah, I, I do believe that that at least one significant bat is going to be signed this offseason. Yeah, I think it's not a successful offseason without two significant additions, and I think they'll both be on the offensive side. I know we talked about adding a starter, high-end starter. I don't know if they do that. They may kind of look at that in the trade market, but I still think they feel comfortable with the rotation as is. I think they go and get two bats. I agree. I think Contreras is definitely one of those guys that I've circled, and then it just comes down to is it going to be an outfielder? Is it going to be Andrew Benintendi, Brandon Nimmo, or are they going to look at that shortstop position and look at Bogarts for example, I think he's the guy I agree with. He probably makes the most sense because when Wynn's up here, you can potentially move Bogarts over to second. Wynn can play short or Bogarts can be the DH. But I agree. I think they're going to be me making significant splashes this offseason. I know that this is setting myself up for failure, but I'm pretty confident Cardinals fans are going to look back at this offseason and say that was a success. Now, I I don't know how it's going to work. Once, I don't know. <laughs> one, once we get into next year's regular season, who knows how it ends up going down? Like they're, I think they're going to win the division because the division is going to be terrible. But I, I don't know what the ultimate success is going to look like next year. But I, I really genuinely believe as long as they add like a Wilson Contreras or better player, I think most Cardinals fans are going to be pretty happy with that. The reason why is because the bar has been set so low over the last five years, guys. Like their best free agent acquisition, we were saying it all year, has been Albert Pujols over the last five seasons. I'm pretty confident that not the Vizzle guy will be better than Albert, but that this guy will be better than Steven Matz or Brett Cecil or Dexter Fowler. Fowler. Like those are your quote unquote high name additions that they've had over the last few years. I'm very confident you're going to get a bigger splash than that. Now, I'm not sure it's going to be a bigger splash than trading for Nolan Arenado or trading for Paul Goldschmidt, but I think it could be something that rivals that. I think you have to find yourself acquiring some type of star for your lineup. I think that's my that's my precedence that's that I'm setting for this uh, this offseason. You've got to add a star to your lineup so that you have three studs offensively going into the season. Tomorrow, I want to look into the shortstop class because there's one that I want no part of. None. I think it will be a failure of an offseason if they acquire him. I'll tell you who that is tomorrow, and we will go ahead and rank in order the best to worst possible shortstop acquisition because I think we're all on the same page. So that is the ideal offseason is adding one of those this offseason, given how many good ones are out there. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Coming up from 2 to 6, it's the Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. 
Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.